Hello and welcome to the Tool Assisted Podcast. This is your host, The 8-Bit Beast, and today is the 23rd of February, 2019. Today we're talking about the Sonic Adventure series, in particular Sonic Adventure DX Director's Cut and Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, with Talus, also known as THC98, and Hazel, also known as Fusion Barrier and its personal. So tell us a bit about yourself, Talus. Okay, so when I was a little kid, one of my favorite series was Sonic by far. Like, I really loved playing the classic Sonic games for the Genesis. And um, I've spent a lot of time completing those games over and over again. After a while, I found out that there were a lot of glitches in the games that looked very, very interesting. I also found out that there was a game called Sonic Adventure DX, which I eventually started playing as well and trying to fi find out glitches because I knew that was a thing in games as well. And eventually I, I searched for more glitches of Sonic Adventure DX in YouTube and suddenly a, a video called Emerald Coast done in 1 minute 0 seconds and 90 20 seconds popped up in my screen and I was like, what? How is that even possible? How how did you do that? So I went and watched that and was and I was completely fascinated on how the stage was done and how it was all executed. Like it was my first time watching a speed run and it was the world record for that stage, so it was really incredible for me. And it got me interested in, in watching more ILs of that game. So I watched a bunch of them. Most of them were by a guy named Jawson, which is one of the earliest champions of SADX. It was a really good time back in his days. And I someday I decided, huh, I want to try this. And I started doing ILs of that game as well, um, RTA ILs of that game. They were really, really bad back in the day. Like, most of them were like 20 seconds off the, the record, at least. But it was a very fun beginning to this world. And after some time, I, I met some other guys from the community that wanted to help me improve my techniques and, and strats. Like, specifically, G-Pro was the, the guy who started talking to me and we added uh, one another in, in Skype. We made a Skype group with a lot of other runners and, well, that was basically the point of no return. I was getting very deep in the speedrunning community at that point. There was also the time where I met Hazel, so we started doing some glitch hunts here and there. And... um yeah, I also eventually found out about JS and how it works, how it was done, and I wanted to try it out by myself as well. I started doing just some messing around in Super Mario 64, which apparently is a very common way for new JSers. So I was doing some PLJs, hyperspeed flying, and every cool stuff like that in the game just to get a feel of what JS is. And then after some time I eventually, uh, uh, also after watching a few tests of Sonic Adventure DX and Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, I wanted to try SADX myself as well. And I picked uh, Twinkle Park as my first stage to make a TAS for. And the result was surprisingly very good. I got a pretty good time compared to the RTA world record and I was interested in doing more in other stages. 
And I, I was doing more ILs, more like fun little challenges in the game that I was CAS. And eventually I started working on Sonic Story, which is the full game of SADX completely normally. I started working on that in 2012, probably mid-2012, and I finished that in September 2013, which ended up that uh, full game TAS got actually very popular at the time I released it. It got star in, in those videos and a lot of views in YouTube. It was very exciting to know that my work was being real, well received by the community. So I wanted to do more and more. I started doing Heroes, I started doing SA2B, Hazel and I started working on Hero Story in 2014, which is another test that is published in test videos with a star as well, by the way. And um, yeah, for now I'm working on Dark Story TAS for SA2B as well. I'm also doing ILs here and there, in, mostly in SADX and SA2B. I do want to come back to Heroes eventually as well. Might not take too long, it might. We'll talk a little more about that in the Heroes episode, I guess. But yeah, I think that sums up what's been happening so far. Cool. So do you still do much testing on SM64 or are you focused mainly on the 3D Sonic games? I'm actually participating in the SM64 test competition that is happening around the SM64 community. I've done a few tasks of that competition last year. I participated like in six or seven tasks last year and one in this year. Like I don't take SM64 too seriously, I just do it for fun because it's a game I, I like a lot and it's always interesting to test a game you like a lot. So yeah, that's more for fun and never try to grind really hard for it. I test in SM64. And do you remember what your first test that you saw was or how you found out about testing? The first test that I saw, I don't really remember it, it probably was... Super Mario 64 or maybe even an SA2B test because it was the, the community I, I was in it was one of those. Cool. So Hazel, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so my introduction to this whole speedrunning thing actually came through a friend of mine that I met in middle school, and I currently live with him. We've been best friends for like, I don't know, 11 years or something. <laughs> Or maybe more like 10. I'm not entirely sure. But prior to meeting him, I was interested in glitches, but not speedrunning. I followed the Metroid Prime low percent community and sort of kept up with that and would look at glitches in the actual like games that I grew up with, Sonic Adventure 2 being one of them. And then, um, yeah, I met my friend Nathan, and he also played Sonic Adventure 2 and had a bunch of speedruns and stuff and would watch them and showed me like various out of bounds and I showed him various random glitches I found in the chow garden and stuff and yeah eventually just from watching speedruns and following it I started getting into that myself. I always preferred the idea of TASing because I'm not particularly good at doing things with my hands so like yeah really fast speedrunning on a controller was not only did it hurt my hands but I wasn't very good at it so I eventually got into TASing starting with Mario 64 just free running around same as THC 98. 
And uh, yeah, I eventually saw Sonic Adventure 2 TASs on YouTube from some of the old TASers like Dennis Ballow and USTA and Renee Ballow. After watching them, I just sort of thought to myself, because like this is a game that I speed run and know a lot of glitches in at this point, like I think I could improve these routes. And that's kind of what got me into TASing was just seeing these stages where I thought like they're doing too many tricks that the non-TAS run does, but there's so much more potential if you use like the perfect input aspect here. And yeah, so that just sort of got me off on TASing and I haven't really stopped since. I just do it in pretty much any game I come across that I have an interest in. I'll look for tool-assisted like tricks and routes and I don't typically do like full game runs or even optimized runs. I'll just see what's possible. And my whole approach to TASing is more of a glitch hunting and routing thing rather than complete movies, which is why the only published movie I have is the Hero Story Task with the HD98. So what games have you tried TASing on? So my main four, I suppose, would be Metroid Prime, Sonic Adventure 2, Spongebob Battle for Bikini Bottom and uh, Mario Sunshine, which are just all games I grew up with. Uh, Some other offhand ones would be like the Incredibles GameCube game. I've found a lot of sequence breaks and tricks in that game. Within like a week, I just picked it up and found a bunch of stuff, uploaded the videos and then stopped playing the game. And I've done that with a lot of games. Sometimes I work on Metroid Prime 2 and 3. Sometimes I work on the other Spongebob games. There's probably games that I'm forgetting. Sonic Adventure DX. Uh, I worked on Shadow the Hedgehog briefly. I really just, any game that I grew up with, which is all GameCube 2001 through like 2007 games, and I'll just go back and play them and just see what I can do with the knowledge I've gained from glitching other games. Yeah, and I'm sure we can agree that the good thing about that approach is that you're able to tackle so many different games by tazzing rather than just doing speedrunning. Yeah, see, I never really found much fun in speedrunning. It seemed, it's weird for me to say because everyone who comes into like a TASing stream is like, wow, this seems so boring and repetitive. But <laughs> I sort of feel the opposite. Like, I feel like speedrunning, especially like personally doing it, it's the same thing like over and over again. And like I said, I'm really bad. So I was always restarting and like I could never get the times I wanted. And then with TASing, the only time you ever really truly restart is if something new got found. But normally you can like start something and have that feeling of like finishing it instead of like finishing a run and being like, okay, that run was good, but I could do better. Usually when I finish a task, I'm like, I don't have any more like, yeah, but I could do better and I should go back and do it again. I can move on, maybe come back a few years later. But yeah, it's, it's just the approach of TASing to glitch hunting and speedrunning for me is just a lot more satisfying than playing non-TAS and knowing that like things could actually be better than I'm doing them. Definitely. I think you articulated pretty much my exact feelings about <laughs> RTA versus TAS as well. <laughs> I enjoy watching them and I think it's really impressive the people who can grind because I don't have that kind of patience. I can grind TASing, but like that's because I don't ever get the feeling of like my work is being undone. But every time you restart a run, it's like back to the beginning. You know, when you're tasking like Hero Story, for example, you never have to go back to City Escape once that stage is done. I did have one other thing I was going to mention. The actual reason that I grew up with Metroid Prime is kind of funny because that was like the real first game that I got into uh, doing like real glitches and watching videos online and stuff rather than just like doing funny things in my room. The reason that I have Metroid Prime is actually because my brother bought that game and then didn't want it. And it was rated teen, but and I was like four or five years old. I guess I would have been five because it came out in 2002. 
But uh, yeah, I ended up getting that game when I was five years old and just grew up with that game. And I have no idea where I'd be if my brother didn't pick that up and then decide he didn't like it. But I just thought that was worth sharing. Hmm. I guess a lot of people that age might not have played it too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember having a similar experience with uh, GoldenEye on N64. We picked that up and it was a little bit above our age bracket. <laughs> Yeah, so with RTA, I tend to find that the really dedicated runners basically have to just focus on that one game. And one thing that's good about Tazzing is that you're able to focus on lots of different games you enjoy. Yeah, I'm really thankful that I have the ability to do that because I seem to have these maybe like one week to one month long phases where I'm really focused on one specific game. And it's nice to be able to like drop that and come back later without like being rusty or like having to warm up again because it's it's tasking like you don't exactly have to do that. I guess the best example recently was back in November of 2018. I tried to get a record every single day in SA2 and just grinded that and then stopped for a while and all that progress that was made isn't being undone if I go back to SA2 again soon. But currently I'm like working on Metroid Prime. So yeah, it's nice to just be able to jump around games and not have to compromise like skill. Yeah, definitely. So um, what are you working on for Metroid Prime? Well, I was working on the new low percent, which is TAS only at the moment. Uh, I solved it sometime last year, but never like made a uh, a playthrough or anything until just this past weekend. It's 20% now instead of 21. So there's just one item skipped using it. Well, around like three borderline TAS only uh, tricks. One is much worse than the others. So yeah, I just did a playthrough of that recently to prove that it was possible and all that stuff. And then after that playthrough, it kind of got me back in the groove to like open up the level editor and scan around and see what I can find and do some testing. Very good. And do you think that'll sync on Dolphin or will it still have similar issues that any percent did? Uh, it'll probably still have similar issues that my any percent test did. I'm still using the same revision as back then because there's some bugs in the newer one that seem to be worse than the bugs in the old one as far as I'm concerned. Things like the save states take longer to load and it crashes more often. It's it's a much less convenient to use and also still doesn't seem to sync perfectly. So I just use the old version and sort of put up with the syncing issues. You can kind of work around them by recording in segments. Which, if you're just looking for glitches and stuff, that's not a big deal, obviously. In a full game task, is really disappointing, but... Well, hopefully that's not an issue forever with that game. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any TASs or speedruns that you'd recommend? Do you want to answer first, Delis? Uh Recently, I've been following the Mario Kart Wii community uh, very often. For a very long time, they're doing a really good job in, in testing that game, so that's one I really recommend. And also for full game tests, one that I really liked as well is Zelda Wind Waker by Trog and Sonic Colors Wii by Sheru. Those are really nice. And, and of course, Metroid Prime TS of Made by Hazel is really amazing as well. It's not too bad. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a very good selection i've seen quite a few of those and i could get behind those recommendations i think uh how about you hazel any that you would recommend oh i'd have to shout out my boy edson and his 100 percent task of metroid prime that just recently was finished around new year's just just before new year's i think it's incredible like it blows my task out of the water if you ask me and then uh 
I really like anything Zilpiku does, Zilpiku Kirby. He's a Japanese Super Mario Sunshine TASer that just... The rate at which he can pump out optimized tasks blows my mind. Like, whenever I suggest something to him, he has a finished IL later that day that I can't even beat. And he's done too many percent tasks now. Obviously, the more recent one I would recommend watching, but both of them are good if you want to see how the game evolved. And then I believe he's also working on a 100% TAS that's not finished yet. But when that's out, it's going to be really good. Mm, nice. So let's move on to festival sonic adventure dx director's cut to be honest i hadn't actually played these games before preparation for this episode apart from maybe like one or two levels of sonic adventure 2 but yeah i don't know the naming really confused me until i realized it was just sonic adventure and adventure 2 but they were remakes (laughs) i don't know why they messed up the titles or anything but okay so have there been tazas of sonic adventure dx yeah, I've actually finished two tests of Sonic Adventure DX and published them on test videos. Those are both Sonic's story and Tails' story, so the full story of those two characters. Both of those tests are actually improvable, both by better routes and new tricks. But by the time they were done, like I think they're pretty optimized, honestly. Okay, so you said it was 2013-ish that you did the Sonic? Yes. Yeah. 2013. And was Tails at a similar time? Yeah, Tails was finished a lot quicker because in general Tails is a lot simpler character. So I finished his test in like two months, I think. Two or three months, I I don't remember. It was way less than Sonic Story that took like one and a half year, maybe. Were there many skills that were transferable from doing Sonic Story to Tails Story? Not really, because the movement in general is a lot different. While in, as Sonic, you will see Sonic spamming the spin dash button all the way through the stages. As Tails, you're just flying all the time, so it's a lot different. There are a few things that can be done as both characters, like the boss strategies. But those are quite simple anyway. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of stuff that you probably subconsciously do now, like, you know, RNG manipulation, text skipping, menuing, that's all transferable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They also do run on relatively the same physics, so not so much from a movement standpoint, but just, like, understanding how to optimize standpoint. Mm Mm-hmm. You can sort of view them similarly. You can view everyone in the cast of, well, basically all of these games They all follow some of the similar principles, but certain variables are different. So like the max running speed might be different, but the way that they move on certain collision is still the same. It's not super transferable in the way of like optimizing, but in glitch hunting, you can apply the same understanding to every single character, generally speaking. Yeah. So like if you wanted to clip or something, you might be able to do it with multiple characters. Yeah. As long as they're the same size, usually, yeah. Okay. One very good example of that is the gravity mechanics. We're going to cover that a little deeper later in this podcast, but basically there's a rule of how switching gravity works that applies to all the characters in both games. So when there's a trick that involves that, we already know what what the physics we're dealing with. Yeah, generally speaking, physics in the air, they're all handled the same way, but with different like max falling speeds, stuff like that. But it's, it's the same type of engine, but with different uh, numbers plugged into the formula. So if you have a general understanding of one, you can usually apply it across the characters. 
And so the vigilant listener will notice that there is more than just Sonic and Tails in the game. So are there any plans <laughs> to Taz other characters or redo Sonic and Tails? I want to Taz Amy's story someday because I think Amy's story is <laughs> incredible. It's kind of a joke, but not really because her character basically has no movement options at all. But if you really, really understand the physics of this game, you can find tiny exploits that save time in so many places. And it's it's really interesting. It's like a solving a puzzle with like a self-imposed challenge almost of just like you have no useful like movement options all you can do is run and jump but like how fast could you really go and i personally find amy's story really funny and interesting to work on and i actually have improved the story a lot with different tas only like using enemies to get height and new clips and yeah just just some weird uh speed conversion tech that i'm still trying to lab out but it's fun to work on, even though she's a really boring character, objectively speaking. Yeah, and for me, I actually started doing Knuckles' story a while ago. I think it was like two or three years ago, which I've done like two stages so far. But I've paused for now because, well, first because I was using a very old open version at that time, so I would prefer to like redo the whole thing in a newer open version. And also because I I wanted to focus more on SA2B, so that kind of was left aside for a while. But I, I do want to go back at that someday. Okay, so yeah, Knuckles would be probably next to come out if there was another one to come out, you think? Yeah, probably. Also, there are a lot of people that ask for us to test Big, Big the Cat. <laughs> That's another one I'm thinking about doing. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a joke because Big the Cat's known as like the slowest character, the most boring, because it's a fishing game. So <laughs> Big the Cat would be like a joke test. Like there are very good speed runs of like RTA runs of that character, but no, <laughs> I I don't want to deal with that. Good runs of that category. Haha. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so do you reckon there's any chance of doing like a big full game 100% all characters has, or is that out of the question? I think that's kind of out of the question because it wouldn't add much to doing each character separately, but with the exception that you would do less story, which is basically one boss. So, like, I don't think it would be a, an interesting test. Okay, fair enough. I know that's something that I would be interested to see in Heroes as well, is 100% Taz, but I understand mm -hmm. that it's pretty repetitive, so it does make sense in speedruns just to do the individual characters. Yeah. Okay, so today we're talking about Sonic Adventure 2 Battle as well. So do we have published Taz's of that? Yeah, so we have Hero Story, which we made back in 2014. It was like, I think an eight-month project. Started around May and ended around December. It was the first like complete task of this game, or like non-IL task of that game. So with that, Taz, has there been much found since then, or is it still considered fairly optimal in terms of routing and optimization? There's been quite a lot in a couple of stages. Most notably, I guess, would be Eternal Engine now. There was a skip I found last year, 
maybe two years ago now. I don't remember. But you can get out of bounds at the very start of the stage, basically. You play the stage for like 15 seconds and then jump out of bounds. You have to shoot a stack of three boxes so that the two lower ones break and the top one falls on top of you. And then you can just clip out and then uh, fly to the goal ring. And it, it saves like 40 seconds, I think, over the current task. It might be more than that. I think you can get like 114. Yeah, I don't recall what the Hero Story task had, but whatever it is, it, it's quite a lot of time. And then there's just minor optimizations here and there. There's some theoretical stuff that I guess I can try and get into. The bouncing tech with Sonic, where you press B every other frame, and it uses his bounce upgrade to convert some of the downward momentum into forwards every single time that you do it. It also requires you have precise analog input each frame. It's like a very TAS-only trick. But there's a hypothetical way to cross gaps faster with it, because the speed cap in Sonic Adventure 2, it follows the like cardinal directions. So you can only move in 16 speed forward and back or left to right. But if you move like diagonally, you can move faster than 16 speed, as long as your cardinal velocity along those axes doesn't exceed 16 so by moving corner to corner on platforms, it might be possible to have more speed in the air when we do jumps and then take like a curved shape in the air to retain our speed that's above the normal cap as we turn to face more forwards and go down to 16 speed. And hopefully that made sense because it's not very easy to explain without a visual, but <laughs> that's something that has not been explored like at all yet because it's a really daunting project to take on, but we're pretty sure it's possible. Uh, THC98 has a video on his channel kind of documenting it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one place where like a lot of time may be saved. So with that glitch, so you can't travel more than 16 speed along any up, down, left or right. Yeah. So, but you can if you're holding diagonal, is that right? No, no. If your facing angle is diagonal along the spatial axis of the stage... So Talis would know the math on this. I'm not very fluent in math, but I I believe it's like the hypotenuse of like a triangle with 16 and 16 as the lines that meet at the right angle. The hypotenuse is like the max speed you can go at at a diagonal, which would be like 21, I think, or something around that. Yeah, it's around 21. But yeah, basically the, the speed you gain by accelerating, by bouncing or whatever, is applied to where you're facing at. So if you're facing diagonally in relation to the X and Z axis, you can exceed the 16 speed cap that is only applied to directions parallel to the axis and exceed that in your forward speed as long as your kernel speeds are still below 16. That is very fascinating to hear because there's actually pretty much exactly the same in Crash Bandicoot 3 on the jet ski levels. It has pretty much the same situation there. Uh, speed cap along the level axes, but of course you can hit the speed cap in both directions at the same time to get the, you know. In that game as well, you've got the same situation happening on the analog stick itself. So they zigzag back and forth. <laughs> yeah, that's a very common thing. Yeah, so that is very interesting to hear. So uh, in Sonic Adventure 2, it's more on a macro scale, like the speed caps only applied in each direction of the level axes. 
Yeah, actually, I came about hypothesizing that when I realized I was doing research for a doc, like just a document explaining all of the like physics things that we understood in SA2. And I wrote down that the speed cap was 16. But then I realized that like, there's so many hills we roll down where we reach speeds of like 18 or 19. And then I was like, oh, wait, that speed is in the facing angle that we have, which is like, it's not straightforward. It's angled downward because we're going downhill. And then it was like, oh, wait, these speed caps only apply to like the axis of the stage. And then, well, what if we went diagonally across these areas and then Tally's tried it and it seems like it should work. We just haven't. TASing Sonic Stages is really daunting because, as I mentioned, you have to have perfect angles and press B every other frame. And it's really difficult to optimize the bouncing tech because where you end up moving later on a platform is kind of determined by how you start on the platform. So you'll reach the end of a platform and then realize like, oh, wait, I should have done the first bounce differently and then go back 25 bounces and do it all over again. And (laughs) it's it's not very fun. So there's been no Sonic TASs by either of us in like three years. I'm sure that'll change soon enough. Other people in the TASing Discord have done Sonic TASs, but neither of us have. Yeah. But maybe someday we'll have Lua scripts that do those bounces for us. That would be the dream. Yeah, that would be very nice. Automate it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> It'd be pretty difficult, but pretty good. Mm. Yeah. Also, there's an extra improvement on the hero story test that could be done, which is about the hunting stages. Well, first of all, the hunting stages, which are the ones done by Knuckles, all of them rely on RNG, because the pieces in those stages are randomly generated. So we could get better RNG on some of those stages now that we know a little more about the pieces layout and which ones are possible which one is the fastest one if i'm not mistaken there's 1024 possible layouts yeah so the, the rng picks from one of those possible it's not like you can get like any set of pieces there is some uh limitation to it Yeah, that happens because you're entering the stage from the story mode. So as soon as the stage loads, it has like the default RNG value. This layout is generated just from the the frame counter. And the math that the game does with that cycles at 1024. So there are only 1024 possibilities of pieces layout. So these emeralds are always in sort of a select few spots and this 1024 picks combinations of those spots. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. it's not like it could just be randomly on the ground somewhere. No, 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 no. And there is some uh, logic to the way that they're spaced out. Like there's piece one, piece two, piece three, and the distances between each one has to be a certain amount. So like you won't get piece two and three to spawn within like two feet of each other in two different potential spots. If one spawns in one of those spots, there's sort of a radius around it that piece three won't spawn. It basically spawns piece one first, which is which can be any possible piece one location. And then it calculates the distance of every possible piece two that could be spawned. And it will only pick a piece two that has enough distance from the piece one. And we'll do the same for piece 3 in relation to piece 1 and 2. So that is a mechanic to prevent that what Hazel explained. But this is also something that only happens in SA2B. 
in SADX, there's no calculation like that. There's just like a set of possible PS1 location, a set of possible PS2 location, and, and a set of possible PS3 location. And all of them are randomly picked. So you can get some that are quite nicely lined up. A good example of that is Casinopolis. You can basically get a, get the first emerald piece and basically run forward and get the other two ones in the optimal layout. What time does that get? It's pretty low, right? It's like 4.5, I think. 4 seconds and 53 centiseconds. Something like that. On this note of hunting stages, this also reminded me of there is actually a lot of new improvement that can be done, sort of in theory, since because of the way, like the nature of these stages being collecting three pieces, once we determine what the fastest layout is, we have to have strats to get from each piece to the next. So we don't exactly have those planned out ahead of time, but there is more potential in routing those strats now that we have uh, new Knuckles just general tech. There was new tech found, I believe it was last year. There's a lot of stuff that happened last year, apparently, where when you're climbing on a wall as Knuckles in Sonic Adventure 2, when you dismount from the wall downwards, which means that you're holding an angle that's below 90 degrees on the, like, the left right of the analog stick, if it's anywhere below that and you climb off a wall, you'll dismount downwards. When you're climbing on a wall, your gravity is actually sideways for God knows what reason. They just programmed it that way for some reason. If you dismount upwards, it immediately switches back to zero, which is the, you fall downwards. But uh, if you dismount downwards, then it takes a few frames to switch back. And during those frames, you can perform actions like drill diving, which if you drill dive at an angle into the ground, it converts some of the drill dive speed into forward speed. So you can climb on a wall, dismount, and then gravity drill dive at the floor. And because of your gravity angle, the floor is relatively sloped downwards, and so you convert speed to forward speed. If you want to see an example of this, it's used in Security Hall Mission 3, which was uploaded last year. We improved the record by 5 seconds on a 12-second level, so it's pretty cool. It's also used in Night Quarters Mission 3. Yep. Actually, in Security Hall, it's used to do a wall run, and in Headquarters, it's used just to get a lot of speed. Yeah, I should have mentioned that, that you can also wall run out of this because of the sideways gravity. If you do your inputs just right, you can land back on the wall and run up it, which... Yeah, wall running is a really difficult thing to unpack, and I guess we'll get to it when we get to gravity. It's a heavy, complicated thing. Yeah. So there is actually a lot of potential for improvement in Hero Story. There also are just various tricks. There's some Metal Harbor improvements. I think like three of them, which add up to maybe like three seconds total. There's some hidden base stuff. There's a Mission Street wall run that I found, which saves... Eight seconds, I think. Something like that, yeah. It's around ten. Because it saves a cycle. Off the top of my head, that's all I can really think of. And then obviously just general optimization stuff, because I'm sure that we could save some time doing that. Yeah. And the final rush... We actually did work on that after Hero Story. Oh yeah, that's true. We did improve Final Rush, which uh, the video is on THD's channel. Yeah, I think it was 102 to 59. I think that was the change. We finally got the sub-1. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every Sonic stage is sub-1 now. And almost every Shadow stage. We're really close on Radical Highway. Mm -hmm. Cool. So 
these improvements that are found, I'm assuming people will do IELTSs of them so you could calculate roughly what the final time would be. Yeah, I usually uh, make low tads of, well, my version of a low tad is just like, I don't grind angles. I, I do frame advance through the entire thing and do everything mostly optimally, but I post those on my second YouTube channel and I have low tads of like almost every single improvement for Hero Story and also all of Shadow's stages. I have low tads with the current record in them, just using all the new strats and uh, various like Eggman and Tails stages as well. So that sounds like it would be kind of the best place to go to see any improvements that have been found then. Uh, if you can sort through all the garbage uploaded on that channel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all interesting. It's just like there's so much things from so many different games. That people don't like how it's all just thrown in the same place. Yeah, it's all interesting. Just interesting to different people, maybe. Hmm. We also have a spreadsheet with all the... CS records of SHUB, so I'll leave a link of that as well. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll be sure to put that in the description slash show notes. That's good. So are there plans to do a dark story test of SA2B? Well, it's being worked on currently. Yeah, we are currently working on that. The progress of that is going quite slow, actually. We're still in Radical Highway, which is the fourth stage. The reason for that is, well, one, we kind of don't have a lot of time to work on anymore. And two, we're trying to do a very hard optimization in the game. We're really grinding out every frame we can in every stage. And also, as there are a lot of new tricks and stuff like that, we're spending a lot, a lot of time making sure everything is working. Like, just on Sand Ocean, not to spoil anything <laughs> of that stage, but I think we found two or three new tricks in that stage. Yeah, I spent a very, very long time labbing out one of them. It's surprising that that stage can be interesting, because, yeah, it's just not very interesting normally. Yes. <laughs> cool, so I think that covers most of the... Tazzes that are done and Tazzes that might be coming up. So we should probably move on to tricks and techniques. I'm sure we've touched on a few already. Mm. Let's start off with tricks specific to Sonic and Shadow. Okay, so the first basic trick you're going to see as Sonic, mostly in Sonic Adventure DX, is spin dashing. It's one of the basic mechanics, like as basic mechanics we have the, the jump, the homing attack, the spin dash, the jump cancel, which is pressing B while in the air after jumping. But by far, spin dashing is the fastest way to move. Basically, you hold B, that starts charging a spin dash, and while you're charging a spin dash, you build speeds in what, what we call a stir speed. And after we release B, all the speed that was built into stored speed gets released to forward. Uh, there are a few technical stuff about that stored speed. First of all, it can't go above 10 units of speed. Or rather, it can't build more speed once it passes 10. Which kind of brings a very nice exploit you can do with spin dashes. If you manipulate your speed to be at 9.99 in the start speed, you can get 
10.39, which is the highest spin dash speed you can get normally, like without being faster than that before. So it's a very nice little optimization we can do in both games. Yeah, just to clarify that, uh, if you're moving faster than 10 speed when you start the spin dash, you'll just lock whatever speed you were at, which is used in uh, Radical Highway to do the massive skip with loop speed at the end. You store a bunch of speed from rolling down the hill, and then your spin dash has mo far more than the max spin dash charge speed when you jump. Yeah, it's very commonly used in dash pads to keep the speed of dash pads. So, for example, if a dash pad gives you, let's say, 14 speed, you can start charging a spin dash right when you touch the dash pad. And you can release that spin dash a lot longer after touching that, so that speed will be stored until you release the spin dash. That's a very nice little optimization as well. But yeah, still talking about spin dash. There's a very huge difference on how the spin dash works in SADX and SHB. In SADX, you can do a spin dash, press B again to unroll, and start holding B again to start another spin dash right away. And that's what we call a spin dash chain, which you basically mash B as fast as you can. In SA2B, there's actually a delay from when you start holding B to when the spin dash charge actually starts. So you can't spin dash chain in SA2B. Well, not like you can in SADX at least. I remember that frustrating me a lot when I played SA2B casually. <laughs> it is weird to get used to. So in SADX for the TAS, are you then just mashing B as fast as you can for spin dashing, or is there more nuance to it? Uh, there's a little bit of nuance in that. It's actually a very nice backstory of that, because that's one of the first optimizations we had to come up with in SADX. While we didn't even have RAM Watch or anything, any tool helping us to test the game. So we had to figure out what would be the best spin dash pattern. Like how much would we have to hold B and then unroll and hold B for how much frames again and so on. And we kind of just tested out a lot of different patterns doing the spin dash chain. And even without the RAM watch tools and whatever, we came up with a very nice pattern, which even nowadays is very strong, like it would usually be, be optimal. This specific pattern is hold B for 13 frames, then wait one frame. Wait, can I say what the next number is? Because I think I remember it. I remember being in the uh, Skype group when this was being discussed. It's 7, then 3, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Se <laughs> actually, 7, then 4, then 3, then 3, oh, 3. Okay. Three. I remember this from like 11 or 2011 or something. Yep. <laughs> nice. And another re really nice optimization you can do with spin dash, which was wasn't found in the same time we did this, but was found a little bit later, is that you can actually unroll with the X button, and then start spin dashing again with the B button right in the next frame. So. That saves a frame of waiting between each spin dash for all the spin dashes in the spin dash chain. So that's pretty huge as well. You've got a good habit of um, answering the questions I'm about to ask because I was just about to ask that. So you can, 
<laughs> because there's two spin dash buttons, you can essentially mash it at 60 frames a second. Is that right? Uh, if you wanted to. Actually, no, I think you, you can only do it in one direction, right? Like you can only unroll and press B, but. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You can't un unroll right ne the next frame if you like start pressing B and then stop pressing B and right in the next frame, start holding X while charging a spin dash. Nothing happens actually. You just keep charging the spin dash. Yeah, you can't release the spin dash unless you actually have no B or X input for one frame. But you can start charging the next one without waiting a frame in between. That's actually also one thing that is specific to SADX. It doesn't happen in SA2B. You have to wait one frame between the unroll and start another spin dash in SA2B for some reason. I actually have a theory that it might be possible if you're on the very seam of something to go airborne for one frame and then start spin dashing again by just holding B, but I don't know if it'll work or not. Something I've been meaning to test. But using going in the air to cancel your spin dash instead of pressing B. Mm, I see, yeah. Yeah, that might be possible. And how would you get in the air? Just like off the edge of something and back on? Yeah, just go at it at like a... 98 degree angle instead of 90 instead of like instead of going straight along with it you just go slightly off and back on the next frame kind of like the grinding technique of sm64 yeah i was just gonna say there's actually a grinding technique like that with amy my favorite sidx character amy actually moves faster in the air so if you find a like straight platform it's faster to fall off the edge and back on over and over again because jumping is the fastest way of moving normally, but jumping loses speed at the start. So if you're falling off and on the edge of a platform, you never slow down from the, the jumping thing, but you have air speed. So you can actually move significantly faster over time than jumping. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm misremembering this, but don't the platforms kind of try and stop you if you go off the edge? Uh, not if you're rolling. Oh, very good. So, yeah, you would have to be rolling to do that tech then, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd be mm -hmm. in a spin dash, so. Yeah. All right, so we should move on to talk about hovering. Yep, hovering. Do you want to cover this, Hazel? Sure, I can try it. It's, it's not super complicated, but it's kind of, like, unintuitive. This game has hover frames, which essentially, if you ever played like a Mario game, holding A makes you jump higher and stay in the air longer. It's that same concept. Every time you jump in the air, you have 60 hover frames with Sonic, at least. With Eggman and Tails, you have 16, which is why they jump significantly less. And so when you have hover frames, if you're holding A, your descent slows down. Well, actually, yeah, your rate of like losing vertical upward speed slows down. So you don't actually accelerate when you hover, you just don't lose speed as fast. I was TASing Radical Highway a long time ago. I discovered that you could do what I call a pause hover, which essentially is using your hover frames instead of at the start of your jump when you're ascending, later on in your jump when you're descending, because you keep more forward speed when you're descending than when you're ascending. And it, it's as simple as that. If you're doing one, you're slowing down a certain amount. If you're doing the other, you're slowing down a certain amount. So the moment that your speed goes negative, you'll just start using hover frames to stay in the air longer. And the way you do that is by pausing, because to hover, you have to hold A. But if you press A in the air, you'll do a homing attack. So if you press start and then hold A to unpause, 
you'll never do the initial A press, but you'll have the A held, and that lets you hover in midair. This can be used for a lot of different things. You can hover without jumping if you spin dash off the ledge. So the way to have hover in that situation would be to do a jump prior and not use any of your hover, because that'll reset the hover counter to 60. And then when you spin dash off a ledge, you'll have 60 hover frames with your spin dash, which can be used to cover distances that even jumping is hard to cover. And then it's also just faster because you're never ascending if you do that, you're always going downwards. There's a trick called a mock bounce, which is when you convert some of your forward speed to upward speed by hitting a wall in a certain way. It's really easy if you have the actual bounce upgrade with Sonic, but you can't hover when you're using that upgrade. You can hover when you're spin dashing, though, so if you do a spin dash bounce, you can use hover frames to drastically change the amount of height you get because you basically don't slow down at all. We'll just launch upwards, especially if your gravity is sideways, but I'm not going to get into how complicated that gets. <laughs> Also, a very nice example of manipulating hover frames is in Radical Highway M1 test of 110 that we released last year, I think. Yeah, I believe so. There's a section where we have to do a series of two mock super bounces. I'm going to cover a little more on how that works in a bit, but you basically, as Hazel said, bounce off a wall with a very high vertical speed and we can use the hover frames to keep more of that speed. And as we have to do a series of two mock super bounces, there's no jump in between them. So we'd have to waste like half of the hover frames in one mock super bounce and half of the rest of the hover frames in the next mock super bounce. But we found out that if we do a very short jump in between those two mock super bounces, it gets actually faster because we can use the whole amount of hover frames we, we have available for both mock super bounces and that's enough to save the time we lost with, with the jump. Mm, I believe the jump only lasts two frames. It's actually very easy to miss, but if you do watch that TAS, you should pay attention to it because it was, it was really interesting when we found it. Like That was a big moment when we were working on the stage. Like I finally found a way to reset the hover frames here so we don't have to compromise and like only use half. Yeah. It was uh -huh. just this, this, these two moving platforms, and we jumped from the lower one and like clipped into the higher one, and we were only in the air like two frames. But as long as you jump, you reset the hover frames, so that's all that we needed. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. That is, it's not that often that you see that you can delay your hover frames until later into jumps as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll have to put that pause method in my toolbox, I think. <laughs> that's like really <laughs> counterintuitive. Yeah, it took a long time for us to find that, actually. It was like in 2013 or 2014 that I believe it was it. 2013 when I... I did it in my Radical Highway, like Mission 2, I think. Yeah, there was one jump where it was just way faster to use it later because of the direction I had to jump and the gravity angle I had. Yeah, and it also saved a lot, a lot of time in the Hero Story TAS. Mm-hmm. A lot of places in Bram the Cave use that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so weird. I mean, <laughs> I've only seen one other game that's sort of like that. Uh, Donald Land, which was the last Taz competition on Taz videos. You didn't need a pause for that, though. Actually, uh, when you're using mechs, if you don't have the uh, hover upgrade yet, 
they don't have any like function assigned to the A button when they're in the air. So you can actually tap the A button and then hold it when you're descending. And actually to extend on this, you can also do that with Amy and Big actually. Like all of the meme characters, you can do this with. And it's actually significantly faster because it shortens the amount of time you spend ascending, but makes your jump almost just as long. So you spend way more time speeding up, falling forwards in the air. And as with Amy and Big, you're constantly jumping through the stage because that's the fastest way to move. That gets huge, the time you can save with that. So if you slow down at the start of your jump, can you get back up to full speed in the rest of your jump or is there sort of a lower cap on it? No, it's just like, it's actually, a, there's a higher deceleration when you're ascending and a lower deceleration when you're descending in an absolute number. It's very fluid. So like your first jump is always slower than the next. Well, not always, there's a limit, but when you start from like a standstill or without much speed, you're not going to build all the way up to max on the first jump. It takes a few because you build slightly more than you lose each time you jump until you hit the uh, like horizontal, like aerial speed limit for building speed. And then you'll just kind of stay there. And if you hold it for the full 60 frames, do you then lose more than you build or do you still build more than you lose? At the start of your jump, like while you're still ascending? Yeah, at the start. It depends on the situation. Sometimes that's better to do if you need more height. But generally speaking, you always want to like just tap the A button in the situations with like Amy and Big. Uh, you'll lose slightly more. It depends on how fast you're going at the beginning. If you just hit a speed pad and you're moving faster than like the aerial speed acceleration limit, then you can hold A the entire time and you'll still slow down more. But like you won't slow down below the limit. So it doesn't matter too much, I guess. Cool. I don't, that was kind of just rambly. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. I'm not sure if I missed it before, but is there something specific that's required to get a hover off of a spin dash, or do you just simply hold A? You have to hold A when you're in a state where you can't perform any action. So while you're charging the spin dash, you can hold A. If you've already released the spin dash, you'll probably have to pause. Or in very select situations, there's a function in this game where if you're too close to ground it won't let you homing attack so in some situations when you go in the air you could simply just press a if you're too close to the ground to homing attack that doesn't happen very often but they're actually on radical highway just a few weeks ago there was a situation that allowed that you can also hold a right when you're getting off a ledge because you can't either jump or homing attack in that specific frame so yeah, there is one frame that you can just press the A button. Yeah. But in RTA and even in TASs, it's a lot better to just hold A while you're charging a spin dash. That's way easier. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine RTA people would be trying to hit those specific frames or pausing or anything. Yeah. yeah. Especially when there's absolutely no benefit to doing so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So should we move on to talking about all the different kinds of bounces? Sure. <laughs> so when you're watching the Heroesaur TAS, it's all going very fluid, very nice paced until we get to Pyramid Cave. And in that stage we get a very nice upgrade called a Bounce Bracelet. That upgrade kind of changed the way you move in the game completely because, well, first of all, the Bounce Upgrade lets you bounce by pressing B while 
uh, have a blue aura in the air. So after jumping or after spinning off a ledge, you can do a bounce move. The first thing you're gonna see mostly in RTA runs being abused is how you can bounce after getting a lot of speed towards a wall to get a lot of height because this game has a, a weird property where if you are moving a bit upwards while you're going towards a wall right in, when you hit it you can convert almost all of your forward speed to vertical speed so you can get a lot of vertical speed with that and that's called a super bounce and it's a lot easier to do that with a bounce upgrade because you just run towards a wall, jump and bounce right before touching it and bam you got it. There are a few other cases where you can do that without the, the bounce upgrade which is done by simply spin dashing but that has, a, that has a requirement that you have to be moving upwards in relation to the wall you're hitting so either you have to be going upwards or the wall has to be kind of slanted a little bit so you're still upwards in relation to, to that wall. That mock super bounce is, is used in Metal Harbor and in, in Radical Highway a lot so you can see those there. But yeah, now for a, a test only trick that can be done which is what you're gonna see in the hero story test is the test bounce. You basically get a little bit of speed. It can be done with like a somersault, which is done by pressing A a little bit of time. You jump and press B every other frame for how long you're gonna stay on that ground. That lets you, you build a lot of speed in the direction that the bounce is gonna put you at. But the thing is, when you bounce too fast, on the ground like every other frame there is a kind of tilt you get with the bounce which is probably what makes you speed up we don't fully understand that but due to that tilt you have to actually change the analogic direction alongside with the b presses so you basically press b and hold up left and then hold up and not press b and then press b and hold up right and then not press b and hold up after time, the angle in between can be like down as well. Like the optimal angle will be like mostly down and somewhat right or something. Like it's yeah. The optimal angle is is kind of a challenge to find on every single bounce. It's really weird how it works. Like we haven't found a way to find the the best angle for each bounce without having to test a lot of them until we finally find the fastest one. Is the angle always full radius on the joystick, or do you have to test valleys that are further into the center? Generally speaking, there seems to be a certain range that just always gives the max speed. So, like, it's not like one specific angle is the best. It's like some angles and some spots are all going to give the max speed. And they can be in really different spots. It's, it's really strange. Like, sometimes it could be up left or down left, and both of them give... 14.8 speed or whatever like the exact same decimals yeah, it's really weird that sounds like it would be a good thing to automate yeah be nice yeah it's definitely <laughs> the reason that as mentioned earlier there hasn't been any sonic tasks from either of us at least with the bounce upgrade in like four years now yeah
Was this known at the time of the hero test? Yes. It, it's used right after we get the, the boss upgrade in the pyramid cave stage. And after that, it's just bounce all the way to the, the end of all the stages. I think we burnt ourselves out working on that because, yeah, Final Rush and Crazy Gadgets and the end of Pyramid Cave were just very, very time-consuming stages. But, like, the yes. amount of effort that <laughs> has to go into that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was worth it retrospectively. They look amazing to watch back. I love going back and watching Pyramid Cave in particular. Yeah, me too. It's so funny <laughs> because I think the previous record was like over a minute. And our hero story task, which doesn't have all the upgrades at the start, got 47 seconds. Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, I think it was actually 58 by Hene Balo. Oh, that, that might be right, yeah. It was more than 10 seconds faster at least, though. Yep. Cool, alright. So, got a glitch here called Gravity Controls. I can give an abridged version of this very, very long speech that I wrote out because I think it might be kind of boring. <laughs> it's certainly something that I could discuss easier with visuals, and I'm much better at explaining this in writing than I am speaking. But um, essentially, in this game, you have a gravity angle, which has like three rotational values and can be an like any direction that those values assign is like where down is relative to your character. The sort of main things to know is that when all those angles are zero is when you have normal gravity. And there's no way to change your angle away from zero, aside from touching collision that's not at zero. So if you touch collision that's at a 45 degree angle, it changes your gravity to 45 degrees. And once your gravity's been changed, it won't switch back unless you drop below a speed of five, which that number is the combined vertical and horizontal speeds. So if you have negative two vertical speed, you need positive 4.5 forward speed to keep the gravity locked. At least with Sonic and Shadow and Tails and Rouge, it's five. With Tails and Egg... Or did I say Tails? I meant Knuckles and Rouge. With Tails and Eggman, it's three. So with them, you need less speed to keep gravity locked, which is really convenient because they're very slow. But yeah, once gravity is locked, you fall at that angle of whatever the last thing you were touching is. And then there's a few nuances with terminal velocity, which will be highest when your gravity angle is zero, and it'll actually be zero when your gravity angle is 90 degrees. So if you're 90 degrees, you won't actually fall. You'll just move forwards as if you're like floating, kind of, which is really interesting. But at the same time, you lose so much forward speed so quickly that you drop below that number five requirement to keep the gravity sideways pretty quick. So usually you want, if you're trying to cross like a large gap, you want to find a balance that's like between 90 degrees and zero, which is all done by like whatever collision triangle you were previously touching. That's just like the air stuff. And then there's also wall running and well, yeah, just getting on collision that you're not supposed to get onto, which I don't know the exact number and it's kind of messy. There's some weird Sometimes you can switch very drastically and sometimes you can't, but there's some magic number for the amount of degrees your angle can change when you're switching from one collision triangle to another. When you like run around a loop in the Sonic or Shadow stage, you're actually just running along a bunch of different triangles that are like, their angles are slightly steeper and steeper until they form a circle. And at any point when you're running around a loop, you could jump off and keep whatever gravity you had as long as you're moving fast enough. But you can also land on walls from an air stage. You can land on like a vertical wall as long as your gravity angle is skewed enough. 
which is useful and you have to get really creative to abuse it. But yeah, a good example of this would be the Radical Highway wall run in the 110, which is now obsolete with a different wall run, but that's a secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you go back and watch the 110 TAS, which is the most recent finished task of that stage, there's a wall run along the bridge, which is done by like getting around, a, I think it's a 45 degree angle with a bunch of speed and jumping, jumping from there onto a wall and spin dashing along that wall to get across the entire bridge. Yeah, the reason we're able to land on that wall is because our gravity is skewed enough from the collision triangle we jumped from, and we have enough speed to keep the gravity locked at the angle we had. There's some really interesting things that are more recent that open up like a whole world of possibility, which is actually changing your gravity angle midair. Because I did mention you can't change it away from zero, but you can change it towards zero. If you drop below that, like this, the the like hypotenuse of your forward and upward and downward speed equaling five. If you drop below five, your gravity will start to switch back to zero, but it doesn't do it in one frame. It'll switch back gradually by I think it's like twelve point five units a frame. I, I could be wrong on that number, but um, it's it's not too relevant. The idea is basically you drop below five speed and then gain five speed again very quickly and you can change your gravity angle from being say 90 degrees to 75 degrees which in a stage like final chase with the new skip that i found there last year it's really useful because it actually gives you the trajectory to reach the goal after doing an out of bounds that requires a different trajectory so you get out of bounds and then change your gravity angle and now you're on a course to fall towards the goal instead of falling parallel to the goal and yeah, that's interesting and useful. Was, was that skip possible before the in-air change? No, it was not. If you don't change, you have a 90 degree angle during the skip. And as I mentioned, you don't fall relatively downwards when you have 90 degree angle. So you'll move parallel to the uh, goal ring, but never actually like go towards it. But if you change your gravity angle, you'll start falling towards it. It's very complicated to explain verbally. <laughs> There's a lot of other nuances. Um, one thing that I want to just switch into because it's amazing is this glitch that I found with Tails in Sonic Adventure DX. Yeah, so in that game, I don't know what causes it, but if you change your gravity angle above 90 degrees, so you're running on a wall that's like upside down. If you use Tails' flying ability while you're upside down, you shoot to the uh, speed cap like immediately, which is, as mentioned earlier, because that game has the same sort of 16 speed cap thing, you can reach like 21 speed very quickly and just shoot to like the bottom corner of the stage. I haven't yet actually found a use for this because generally you don't want to shoot downwards in a Tails stage. Most of them go forwards. But there is some potential in Speed Highway I think my current IL record in that stage uses it, but it might not be optimal. It's just the other strat that I found might be better. I, I can't remember. But yeah, it's really ridiculous. You just launch off at this insane speed. And all that's required to do it is that your gravity angle surpasses 90 degrees so that when you use the flying ability, instead of ascending, you descend because you're like upside down. So you'll go lower when you use the flying ability. And it just like compounds very, very fast for some reason. And you'll hit the speed gap in like, I don't know, 15 frames or something. Yeah. It's like trying to make tails fly downwards and also fall at the same time or something. I, I don't understand how it works. 
it's funny that you mentioned that there's actually a similar glitch in sonic one on the master system where if you're moving left you can get a lot of speed because when you break from a roll it assumes you're moving right so it tries to slow you down by moving you to the left Mm. Mm, yeah i saw that i'm surprised that tails still tries to fall downwards even though the gravity says that the ground's upwards Actually, once you pass the 90 degree angle, your terminal velocity becomes negative and you fall upwards relative to tails, but tails is upside down. So like, I should have mentioned this, but if your gravity is at 180, which is completely upside down, the terminal velocity will be positive eight in a stage where the terminal velocity is normally negative eight. So you'll still drop downward, objectively speaking, but relative to your character, your vertical speed is positive. So that could be part of why it works, but it doesn't seem to work with like, you can hover upside down with mech characters and you don't shoot off the screen or with <laughs> gamma in SADX. It doesn't work either. It's just with tails. So there's something else going on or some extra layer that I don't quite understand. This is also a really good opportunity to use that at speed cap op- optimization we mentioned earlier by using the diagonal direction instead of going parallel to the axis. Because as you go directly to the speed cap, you can just move diagonally to get the most speed you can with that. Which is something like 23, I believe, because you're actually dealing with three axes rather than two. Because we had only mentioned the two earlier. I think it's 27, I think. Is it 27? That makes I more sense, actually, yeah. Because it would be the square of each one of those and then the square root of that. Yeah, it's 16 squared times 3 in square root. Yeah, I think it actually is something, something like that. So yeah, you can move at like 27 speed in like 15 frames or something with, with tails in that game. It's ridiculous. Normal flying speed is five for reference. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so does that 27 speed have to be not along a level axis? Because the maximum is 16. Yeah, depending on your gravity angle, it'll dictate the direction you're shooting off in. And if your gravity angle just so happens to be like the bottom corner of the cube made of the axes, it'll be at the, the highest it can be. I think generally when you do that trick, it'll be closer to like 20 because it's not always going to be perfectly at the corner. Yeah, and you wouldn't probably want to go to the corner anyway. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, still at gravity control, there's one extra thing I, I would like to mention. There is a very new strat that was found the end of last year, I think, in Windy Valley, that works both with Sonic and Tails, which you can basically run off a ledge that is angled downwards to keep your gravity downwards through, uh, like tilted downwards during the whole stage. So you, uh, with that gravity, you can actually reach the capsule by just maneuvering through uh, around kill planes and through the rest of the stage. And it's faster than doing the stage normally. Yeah, it's quite a bit faster as Tails uh, than doing the stage normally. And moderately difficult to do. But then a few months later, I think it was, I tried doing it as Sonic and it works with him as well, which uh, people do non-TAS now. It saves a few seconds and it's really quite easy. You just have to spin dash off the right collision triangle and then follow the same path through the air to avoid the kill planes. And like relatively down to that collision triangle is the capsule. It's like straight on a line from that triangle to the capsule. You just have to go kind of in like a spiral shape around some kill planes. 
And the main reason why this is faster is Tails, because the, the other threat was basically fall down the stage until you hit the height of the ending platform and you just fly through that. Is because when you hold B while you're, you're flying, you fall a lot faster. So if your grab is angled a little bit towards the end of the stage, you can fall a little bit forward as well. So at the same time you're going down to reach the, the ending platform, you're also going forward because of the direction you're falling. That same tech is used in Speed Highway with even the non-TAS strat is to get your gravity around 95 degrees and then you continually hold B to build speed and drop fast and then release B to convert that speed to forward and gain a bit of height and then you hold B again you sort of cross the entire stage falling sideways. It's a really interesting strat and I think my task still uses it but the setup is completely different. I had to dig up that video. It's buried on my channel. <laughs> Gravity is very complicated, but it sounds exciting like, what kind of potential it can give you. Yeah, It's actually really fun. I have just a little like story, because uh, I had mentioned earlier that my roommate was uh, the one who got me into like speedrunning this game. I think it was Thanksgiving. We were uh, driving back up from our like parents' town to where we live now, and I spent the entire car ride just like hypothesizing gravity things with him just uh <laughs> we would pick a stage and say like okay like what gravity requirements would we need to do x thing and that was actually when i hypothesized i, I can explain this now maybe based on what we've gone over in gravity because earlier i mentioned that bouncing when you're sideways gives a lot more speed and the reason why is because your terminal velocity is zero when your gravity angle is 90 degrees so there's nothing to take away the relative vertical speed that you have shooting forwards throughout the stage. So if you're hovering when you do a gravity bounce on a wall, you'll shoot forwards and not lose any of the velocity for basically the 60 frames that you have A-pressed, which is also used in the new Radical Highway test that won't be uploaded for a long time. But <laughs> I came up with that idea because I have this like whole the way gravity works so ingrained in my brain by now that I can hypothesize this stuff without actually playing the game. And I find that's what I do a lot on like the bus or whatever. I'll just think about these things. I've had that feeling before of knowing your game well enough that you can basically do it on the bus or the train. It's really satisfying when you can. Cool. So should we move on to talking about loop speed? Sure. Yes. I, I think there's, that's enough for gravity. <laughs> We're actually gonna come back a little bit while discussing loop speed because loop speed is also a very interesting trick which also involves gravity. So yeah, loop speed it basically works like this. When you approach a loop as Sonic or Shadow, it works with both characters. There's a flag in the game that tells the game that you're in an automated path. So your inputs won't matter at all and you will just follow the, the path of, of the loop. And the game will make everything to make you stay on that path. But there are a few ways to get out of a loop while in that state. First of all, if you hold neutral stick, which is like basically release the analog stick while you're running on a loop, you gain your control back and that flag is disabled. So there's no loop effect anymore, so you can just move around freely on the loop. 
that's actually pretty easy to do. You just like while you're running on a loop, you release then analog stick and you'll notice you got your control back. You can do whatever you want. But there's also another way to get off a loop path while the flag is still activated. If I can uh, just clarify one thing, the flag can be activated in the air, but it doesn't really like work until you land. So if you run into the flag, if you touch it in the air and then land on the ground, it'll like activate the running sequence. It doesn't affect you until you land if you jump into the flag. It doesn't lock your analog controls or change them until you land, is what I wanted to say. That's actually something that is different between SADX and SA2B, because that actually locks your control in SADX for some reason. So loop speed in that game is a lot harder, which luckily isn't used in any stage anymore, because the windy volley threat isn't the fastest anymore. But anyway, back to loop speed. As I mentioned, if you neutral stick while in the loop, the flag gets deactivated, and you can use that to actually delay its activation as well. Like if you get to the loop with neutral stick, you can prevent the flag from activating, and after some time you hold in analog stick angle, the flag activates in that time. So you can actually do that right after jumping. So you have a neutral stick, probably charge a spin dash or something, release the spin dash, still neutral stick, jump, and then start holding an angle. And you've activated the loop speed flag, or the loop flag, while in midair. And that doesn't affect your control, as Hazel mentioned, while you're in midair. It's just a flag that gets activated. So what's the big deal of doing that? Well, the thing is that if you homing attack while in that state, normally that would make your homing attack be, be pointed downwards, so you, you get back to the loop if you're above the loop or something. But yes, as you're out of the loop path and going downwards won't make you go back to the loop, the homing attack will actually make you build a lot of downward speeds to whatever gravity direction you're at. So you can use that to like build a lot of speeds just with a homing attack. And as you will have a gravity angle as you're running off the loop, that usually means you can extend that with a wall run right after the homie attack. That trick in particular can be seen in Green Forest, the infamous tree run of Green Forest. That's the main application of loop speed and that's actually also possible in RTA. It's not, it's precise, but there's a setup for it. But in ATS, you would see that happening basically every single loop of the game, in SA2B at least. So how much time would this save per loop, roughly? Or does it vary a lot? It's normally used more to set up tricks than it is to save time. Generally speaking, just avoiding a loop would be faster if you're going on a straight path through the stage. It, in most situations, especially if you have Sonic's TAS bouncing. But usually it's used to wall run or cover gaps that are too large to cover or just simply move in the air at a speed higher than normal because the homing attack can give you up to the cap. It depends on how fast you're already moving downwards because the homing attack adds speed each frame and it only lasts for, I don't know, a quarter second or a half second or something. I think it's probably like a quarter. But if you're sonic and you bounce before a homing attack, you can reach like negative 16 speed going in some direction, which is way faster than normal travel through the air. 
Usually loop speed is used to cover like large gaps. That's how it's used in Radical Highway. In Metal Harbor, it's used to do a wall run. In Green Forest, it's used to do a wall run. Mm-hmm. In Pyramid Cave, it's used to clear a gap. Yeah, and also in White Jungle, it's used to just clear gaps, really. Uh, actually, one leads into a wall run. But yeah, generally speaking, uh, especially with Shadow, loop speed only gives around negative 10, negative 9 downward speed, which very quickly decreases. Because as mentioned earlier, negative 8 is the speed limit uh, when falling, when the gravity is zero. So when it's sideways, it's even less. So you'll go to like negative 9 and then slow down to like negative 5 or something. And that's not very fast compared to spin dashing along a similar path, which would be like 10 speed the entire time. More like 9, but between 9 and 10. So usually with Shadow especially, loop speed is only useful for doing tricks that wouldn't be possible without it, rather than actually passing the loop faster. It takes a bit of time to set up, and also it doesn't move particularly fast if there's like flat ground going in the same direction, but most of the time there isn't. And there's actually another very interesting stuff about loop speed, is that, as Hazel mentioned, it depends on the length of your homing attack. So there's a difference between how it works in SADX and SA2B because the length of a homing attack is way shorter in SADX. So you won't get as much speed as you would get in SA2B with this trick, although the mechanics is basically the same. And also in Sonic Heroes, the homing attack length is like double the homing attack length of SA2B. So Loop speed in that game is really, really fast. It gets like to a way higher speed than doing any other speed trick in that game. Okay, so should we move on to talking about specific stage skips then? First up, we've got City Escape Ram Skip. Yeah, so this trick, I believe, was found by USDA or Ethan back probably 2012, 2011. It was TAS only for a long time, but there is a sort of non-TAS variant now, which you would have seen if you've seen any uh, Hero Story non-TAS runs. You essentially abuse this weird property of loops, which, going back to all the gravity stuff mentioned before, the terminal velocity is much lower than the actual speed cap is in a stage. The speed cap is always 16 downwards, but terminal velocity is somewhere between like 8 and 7 normally. When you're in a loop state, it actually is 16, so you can fall through the stage at twice the rate of the max falling speed. If you're in a loop state, or did I say loop that whole time? I meant ramp. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you're in a ramp state, you fall at 16 speed. So because of that, you can fall to this lower area on the stage way, way faster than you could ever get there by any other means. And the way of doing it is by doing this weird abuse where if you jump onto a loop and then jump off of it, you don't go perfectly straight. Depending on the angle of approach and your analog angle before jumping, you can jump off on these weird diagonals. And USTA found this like perfect angle with the right amount of speed where you can land at a later area in the stage. And it skips like half the stage basically. It takes you almost all the way to the truck section at the end. And then there was a non-task variant found, which V-Man found on accident, I believe. And there's a hilarious uh, video of him accidentally doing that while messing around in the stage. Yeah, is there anything more you want to add to that? Just a funny thing about that found by V-Man. It was actually while uh, we were in a voice call, so I saw his reaction live. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. That was really funny. 
So how much time would that save? If I had to guess, I would say 20 seconds, maybe 15. I think 25. Is it that 25. much? I think so. It's quite a bit. At least RTA, because the, the record was 130 before the trick, and then it got down to like 114 or 113, I believe. Yeah, it's quite a bit of time. It's kind of hard to judge because TAS, uh, there's always the TAS bouncing, which like would move throughout the stage fairly fast. So maybe it wouldn't save as much time TAS, but non-TAS it saves more. It saves a lot at any rate. And it allowed us to... Did we have 59 or 55 when we did an IL of that stage? I don't remember. I know that we got the first sub minute in like 2015 or so. It was actually 58. 58, okay. Yeah, whatever the time save is, it's the reason that that stage is under a minute in the IL task now. Yep. Mm, nice. So let's move on to talking about green forest tree run. We actually did cover a little bit of that while talking about loop speed, but it's basically doing a loop speed out of one of the last loops of the stage, which can set your gravity to do a wall run on the big tree that's around the spring section and it saves a lot of time in that stage because otherwise you'd have to bounce on those springs until you hit the top and then continue the stage from there and instead you can just wall run through the tree and jump to, to the next platform and you're done with that part. The trick was found back in 2010 or 2011 in a test by Dennis Ballow I think but at that time it required to do the bounce the bounce technique which is the, the upgrade you get in pyramid cave but in a hero story run you wouldn't be able to use that bounce in green forest because you don't have the upgrade yet so that trick wouldn't be possible but we actually found a variant of that without using the bounce and it's actually even more constant than using the bounce method which is why there is a setup for it in RTA. So it was a really nice find that we had in the Hero Story test. Yeah, so that made it into the test then? Yeah, it was actually found uh, for the test. I remember um, working on an on TAS setup of that using my laptop like during lunch in high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, I have quite a few stories of working on Hero Story tests on my laptop like, <laughs> in high school. Good. So how much time does the tree run save? Uh, I want to say like at least 10, 15 seconds. Yeah, I would say 15. Cool. It saved enough for me to get the IL record with it at one point, even though I was really bad at the game <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I, I've actually I've done that a few times where we find a new glitch and I'll just go get first place on Sonic Center with it. And then people end up beating it by like 10 seconds later because the, the IL runners <laughs> get to it. But yeah. So um, people doing it RTA now or is it still a little bit too hard? No, it's done RTA. Cool. They've been used in the full single segment run of Hero Story. It's not only IL. Do there tend to be more IO runners for this game or like single segment full game runners? Not recently. Back in the day, it was almost entirely IL runners. And then sort of, I think it came along with streaming. People prefer watching 
full runs when they're watching a stream, I think, rather than IL grinding. That's my hypothesis because before streaming, it seemed like everyone just did ILs and uploaded them to YouTube. And then suddenly there's all these hero story runners on Twitch that they're definitely the majority now. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Cool. So next we've got Crazy Gadget Skip Skip. I can uh, cover this one because I have a history with this stage. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was going to get into this earlier because it is in my introductory notes that we have here, but I uh, skipped over it. But um, back in the day, in like 2010, the first trick that Nathan and I ever, like my roommate and friend from back then, the first trick that we ever like kind of solved was the original Crazy Gadget skip, which is used in Mission 3. You go to the gravity room that has three different switches, like partway into Crazy Gadget. And if you do a very particular jump, you can bypass a kill plane and fall out of bounds with your gravity sideways like indefinitely because this stage has actual switches that change what gravity angle uh, like zero is. So the whole like terminal velocity stuff doesn't apply to this. You actually fall sideways at max speed. And if you jump out of bounds in a really particular way, you can reach the chow in mission three. And we worked on this for like a long time in middle school or something, but couldn't seem to get it and recorded like a camcorder video and sent it to one of the IL runners at the time, Sonic Guitar. And a day later, he uploaded a video with like a 45 second Mission 3, which the record used to be like a minute 30 or something, maybe a minute 20, I could be wrong. So that was like the original, original Crazy Gadget skip. It only applied in Mission 3, where the Chow is quite a bit closer to the out of bounds than the goal ring is in Mission 1. But later on, I think it was at AGDQ 2015, I was working on solving Crazy Gadget's skip skip, which it's essentially just that skip I was just talking about, which skips the old skip in the stage. So it was jumping out of that same room, but hitting the goal ring instead of hitting the chow. And it was originally found in our tasks using the TAS bouncing to get enough speed to make it. But I had a found around January of 2015 that it's possible to make with a spin dash jump, non-TAS. And that became like an infamous skip because getting around the kill plane is really precise and a lot of people lost a lot of runs to that trick. But I'm under the impression now that there is a non-TIS setup that I don't actually know how it works because I've never had to use it. But yeah, this allows for like a sub 40 second crazy gadget, which is insane because the old like original crazy gadget skip, which this obsoleted, barely, barely lets you sub one minute and this saves like an additional 20 seconds or so. The TAS subbed 30. Our, our TAS got, I think it was 29 seconds. It was 29, yeah. <laughs> so your your TAS used the skip skip, did it? Yeah, that was the first place it was done. But using the TAS bounce, so it had like a crazy amount of speed, it was really easy to reach the goal ring. Non-TAS, it requires a pretty good setup and a pretty good uh, jump. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, the, the setup for it in RTA is constant enough to go for it in any run. But it requires a lot of practice anyway. Mm-hmm. Actually, the setup for both Crazy Gadget, Skip Skip, and the Green Forest 3 run were found by Dark Pro, or were made by Dark Pro, which is one of the science guys behind a lot of stuff that happens in this game. So, big shout outs to him. Yeah, actually, uh, he was in the room with me, I believe, at AGDQ when I was trying to figure out if it was possible to do non-TAS. If it wasn't at the moment I was working on it, I at least mentioned it to him later, because I did run into him there. 
All right, should we move on to talking about Final Rush Skip? Okay, so the Final Rush Skip is like a quite unique skip in this game because it involves going through a queue plane that is around a rail section at a pretty early spot in the stage. You basically jump out of one of the rails, bounce in a very specific spot, and well, in a RTA you pray for not dying at that spot, and if you don't die, you're out of bounds and you can navigate through the, the end. But what then ends up happening is that you can get enough speed in that section to go through the cube plane by not having any frame where you touch the cube plane. So like in one frame you're sliding ab above the, the cube plane and the next frame you're sliding below the cube plane. If I remember correctly, it only has a width of like four point something units. So if you're moving at like five units per frame, you can have one frame before and one frame after, and you, it'll just never register that you touched a kill plane because you technically didn't. Yeah. So if you're playing casually and you fall off the stage, could you fall through the kill plane? It was found on accident, so yes. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, Chain Chumper found it, and we could not figure out what was going on. Like People tried to recreate it by thinking, like, oh, there must be a hole in the kill plane. Like If I just go to the same spot, it should work. But it was so inconsistent, we couldn't figure it out. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe 2016 that we really like actually labbed out why this was happening. Yeah, there's actually a kind of similar skip in SADX which is in, in Twinkle Park, in the card section. In one of the, the early curves of the track, if you fall out with your cart to the side of the track, there's a queue plan right below you that if you position yourself correctly, you can go through it in a similar way. This is so precise that almost no RTA runner wanted to, to grind that trick. In the, in the GC version. It is worth mentioning that this is at the very end of the run. This is the last stage. And if you miss the skip, it's wasting, I don't know, 20 seconds. Uh, the final rush skip, yeah. It's not worth trying it at all. There are people that go for it. But the Twinkle Park skip is actually even harder than that. You can like try like a hundred times and only get it once or twice. It's really precise. There's a really funny backstory of that, that uh, back in the day that I didn't even TAS yet. I randomly went for this skip that I didn't even know if it was possible in the PC version because it was known to be possible in the GC version. And I randomly got it in like my first attempt in randomly doing it. So I was like really excited and, and even got the PC records for that time because it it actually saves a lot of time in like a really random playthrough. So after that I, I went to a voice call with Gpro, which is one of the main runners of, of the game. Shout out to him. So I, I told him that I got the, the skip and I, and I wanted to, to grind that, that skip in a, in a screen share with him so I, I could have a, a recorded video of that. And even before I started recording, I wanted to try it just once so I would show him if it actually worked. And I got it again <laughs> uh, in that day. But I wasn't even recording yet, so 
Like, I got a new record with that. It was slightly faster than what I did the other day. But I didn't record it. So I was really mad at that. And never ever got a recording of that again. Wow, that's so crazy. Really sad thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny that I got it twice in a row. I actually got it a few other times later, but never completed a run with that. But still. Oh, yeah. So if you were to fall through a kill plane in sort of a standard level, what happens? Do you just keep falling forever or do you like void out or loop around or something? Uh, There is a universal limit that you reach eventually after like several minutes. I want to say like 20. (laughs) I think it's 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you just sort of hit this like floor, quote unquote, at the bottom where you can run around. And it's just kind of like that's as far down as the game will set your vertical position, I believe. But yeah, you'll just fall forever or until you hit another kill plane if there's another one below. Mm. Mm, Wow. Unfortunately, most kill planes in this game are wider than the max distance you can travel in one frame. This one kill plane in Final Rush is like really the odd one out. Most kill planes are like 20 or 40 units thick. Which, as mentioned earlier, you can't really move faster than 16 downwards. Yeah, even the, the one in Twinkle Park is, is like pretty wide, probably like 20 units large. The reason why you can go through that is that the card speed when you're falling actually builds speed over time. So you get to like 30 or 40 speed. No, wait, no, 30, that, that's impossible. But like at 27 speed <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> So that's why that's possible in that particular stage. Yeah, because I was wondering why you would have to dodge around the other kill planes, but that makes sense that they're a lot wider. And if they were all like four units thick, I'd imagine it would be a pretty big problem casually when you die. Yeah, if we could find a single kill plane in Final Chase that was that thin, we could have a very big Final Chase skip because the goal ring's actually really close to the start. But at present, we had to go pretty far forward and then turn around and go back. And that turn around and go back is what that gravity skip was that I mentioned earlier. Mm. Is there a good way to view all the kill planes or do you sort of have to trial and error? Unfortunately, we don't have any programs or hacks that make them visible. It's, It's pretty much like the way that I do it is I open up Cheat Engine and use the script that we have for like all the addresses for position and speed and stuff like that. And I'll usually lock my vertical speed at zero so that I don't fall. And then I'll like inch myself into the kill plane and note my position when I touched it. And then like go to the other side of it and inch myself into it and note my position when I touch it. And then just sort of do the math and see like how thick it was. And that's basically the best way you can get an idea of how thick a kill plane is, is by just sort of like hitting both sides of it and marking what your position was. Yeah, there was actually someone who did a script to do that automatically in the Final Rush kill plane to map out the whole kill plane. And he actually found out that there are a lot of kill planes in that area, but that's the only one that's thin enough to go through. So that's a very nice data. I don't remember exactly who it was that did this. I think it was Dark Pro, but it might have been Onvar. I don't think it was Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it was Dark Pro. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so weird that they're not standardized, but very convenient, i got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Should we talk about Eternal Engine Skip? 
Uh, well, we did mention that earlier. That's the uh, skip that could save like 40 seconds or so on a general engine. I don't know why I got the name Bofa Clip. I think I was just joking around in Dage's chat and said <laughs> yeah. I would name it that ironically, and then it stuck. <laughs> yeah, that was the one with the boxes where you had to get the top box to drop on top of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Does that work with any boxes, or is it specific to that stage? Generally speaking, if they're in a corner, it seems to work. With Knuckles and Rouge, it also seems to work. I've never tried as Sonic because there isn't really a way to break boxes in the air. I guess the bounce bracelet would work, but there definitely isn't really a way with Shadow to break two boxes at once since his homing attack doesn't break them. That has to be looked into. It, it does work with hunting characters, though. If, if you drop a box on yourself, you can clip through the floor or the wall, usually. Yeah, it's used in that chamber. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we'll move on to talking about some stuff with Tails and Eggman now. Let's talk about jump pause hovering first. Okay, so this hover we're going to talk about is a little bit different than the hover we covered before because this is done with the hovering upgrade you get in, in Mission Street as Tails and in Lost Colony to basically hover in the air when you press A, which is a much more efficient hover than the hover frames we mentioned earlier. And the thing is that there's a trick with this hover ability to get higher jumps by using the hover right when you jump. So you basically hover as soon as possible and that gives you a lot more height in your trajectory. And if you pause buffer and A press by pressing start right when you jump and then unpause and pressing A again, you can do a, a what we call a jump pause hover, which gets the, the max height you can get with a jump hover. And even though it seems like it's not a huge deal because it, you're just like hovering a frame earlier, it extends the height of the jump by quite a few units. And you can like go over walls, climb platforms you're not supposed to, and do very neat skips and by using this. A very cool stage to, to see this happening is uh, Hidden Maze in the Hero Story TS, which you can go out, out of bounds by doing a jump pause hover from the top of a door, and that skips a lot of things. I think, generally speaking, most people would just call this a pause jump to kind of avoid confusion, because the upgrade that you're using is hover, but really what you're doing is pressing A twice in two frames by using a pause in between, and that gives you more height because you use the hover upgrade sooner, uh, which I think is called like rocket thrusters as Eggman, so maybe we should call it thruster jumping or something to avoid confusion. But, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and that same pause trick can be used with the B button or the A button or the Y button if you're changing to like treasure scope or sunglasses and want to save a frame. You pause while you're doing the input and then unpause and press the input. And it'll do it twice in like two in-game input frames. Yeah, it's a very similar concept to a pause BLJ in Super Mario 64. Yeah, it's actually the exact same thing. Um, yeah. Cool, yeah. It's another counterintuitive thing with the pause button. I'm glad it was found. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's move on to talking about turn optimization. 
When you're running with a mech, you lose a lot of speed if you're facing angle changes too much. So you take really wide and very explicit turns. I think that's the word I want to use. Like very deliberate angles on every single frame to make sure you're turning as much as you can without slowing down. It's actually really annoying to optimize, but thankfully uh, THC has written a script that basically does it for us now. Because, yeah, it's every single frame you want to have, like, these perfect, perfect angles to turn as sharply as you can without slowing down. Usually when we're making tasses, I leave that stuff up to him. And (laughs) (laughs) I'll work more on the the glitches and routing of the stage and leave the, like, super strict optimization of movement to to Telly's. This um, this optimization saves like so much time over a full run that prison lane, which is the first stage of Tails, we can save like ten seconds over a RTA run just by optimizing turns very well and taking very good paths through the stage. So it's pretty neat. So if you try and turn too sharply, it kind of hurts your speed, does it? Very very quickly too. Yeah, very quickly. Is that a continuous thing, or is there just a point where you've turned too sharply and you lose a lot of speed? Yeah, it's a point where you turn too sharp. But there's a nice thing about it that is that if you jump, although you lose speed in the air, you wouldn't lose as much speed as turning too sharp. So when you do like two sharp turns, it's better to do them in the air than on the ground. So you're going to see us jumping a lot when doing very sharp turns. Mm, Jumping can turn sharper, but it doesn't keep as much speed. But since you have to turn so wide, normally it's worth it to jump around tight corners. Wow, I would have thought jumping would have been slower. That's yeah, another counterintuitive thing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Should we move on to talking about shooting chain optimization? Oh, that's a good one. Sure. So that's something I actually found while working on Iron Gate for the Dark Story JS that we're making right now. Basically, we run into a problem while doing the shoots in the targets we had to shoot, like the enemies and the door targets that you have to explode to make the door open. That sometimes the shoot would come out either earlier or later than we expected to from Eggman's shooter. So we really didn't understand what was going on if we were releasing B in the same time and the shoot was coming later than it was supposed to. So I started looking a little further into it. And I found out that if you target a enemy or any target at all before targeting those other enemies or targets, yeah, the ones on on the door, you can do a single shot earlier. So basically when when you do a a series of targets, like when you target multiple things at once, the blast of Eggman's shooter is gonna aim at the first target and do a first shoot and then wait for less time than it waited before, and then do a second shot and then so on until all the targets are shot. So can abuse that by targeting something before whatever we actually want to destroy and starting that chain earlier so we use like a enemy or any object in the stage at all like in iron gate we used a, a camera that was in the stage to start the shooting chain and then right after the shoot comes out of fragment shooter we target the thing in the door the door target 
ensure that so the shoot comes out immediately and using the delay that the shooter has. So we could like save five frames of waiting for the shooter to turn around and face the target you locked on just by doing this tiny optimization. And the best thing about it is that we are sure that we're not losing time by like no reason at all because that's what was happening before. We fully understood that. So we uh, originally found this, or Telly's found this, in Iron Gate, where essentially the direction that the blaster has to shoot, it has to physically rotate to point at that target before it will actually fire. And because of this, we kept getting inconsistent times depending on how we approached the target and couldn't really understand what was going on. And then it was sort of realized that the direction of the blaster mattered. And if we had it locked on to something that was in the like line of sight of the actual target we wanted to hit, which was the like four dynamite packs on the door, it would shoot sooner. So you pretty much would lock onto something in that general direction before you got there and then start this chain of shots where the next shot that would come out would come out at the earliest possible frame, which saved like five or so frames compared to just running up and shooting the first target. So uh, yeah, it just saves a bit of time every time that you have to shoot a target basically is to shoot something that's near it before you get to it. And by near, I just mean like in the same line of sight from the blaster so that it doesn't have to rotate between each shot. So is that difficult to optimize once you know about it? I don't believe it is. I sort of leave this stuff up to THC as well. <laughs> well, it's not that hard. It's just a little bit annoying because you have to keep redoing all the movement while trying out targeting a, an enemy earlier or later to check what's the, the optimal frame to shoot. So it's not hard, but a bit annoying. Yeah, redoing it would be frustrating, I can imagine. Have either of you used Test Studio before? No. I want them to put it in Dolphin. It's a good program that basically would make that a lot easier. We do have some uh, movie editing tool. I haven't personally used it much, but I know that Telly says for some things. Yeah. Yeah, having a test editor or something like that would be like the dream of GCTA, I think. Definitely. It's a bit uh, tricky for analog because you have to sort of input the numbers rather than doing it visually. But yeah, once you get yeah, used to it, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's good. I want to mention a few things about Tales and Eggman before we go on. Just uh, more in my field of understanding since I more deal with like finding tricks with these characters. It's been a lot of breakthroughs in just like gravity control stuff with Tales and Eggman recently. Most of it just came from understanding like the general gravity rules. But there's some interesting things that they have. One of them being if you're on ground that's sloped enough, it's actually faster to neutral stick than to hold forwards. There's a reason for this, but I don't have the exact details offhand. I know that Anvar explained it to me one time. But that can be really useful for getting enough speed to lock gravity on like a small surface. The key example of this would be in Hidden Base. There's a wall run you can do where you just land on a statue that's very angled. And if you neutral stick on it, you can get up to that three speed requirement very quickly. Whereas if you ran off the statue holding an analog direction, you wouldn't be fast enough to get gravity locked. 
And then once it's locked, you can do a wall run and then perform a fairly reasonable skip that saves around like three seconds, I believe, non-TAS. I don't know how much it saves TAS, but I'm pretty sure it's faster. It's in the current record that I have, which was just a low tad of that stage using the skip. So yeah, mech gravity is really interesting. Just because they weigh so much, they accelerate so fast downwards, there's a lot of situations where you can skew gravity on small objects by just dropping onto them, which is how the Mission Street wall run works, is you sort of shoot over this pillar so that it's flat on the top, and as it falls over, it becomes more and more like angled downwards, and you hover above it and drop onto it while it's falling. And the amount of speed you get just from falling onto it is enough to lock gravity and then fall onto the wall and like run along the stage. Another interesting thing about mechs, which again, I don't have the exact data on hand for this, but when you're wall running, you actually move faster than when you're running on the ground. You move around like, I think it's 4.5 speed as opposed to around 2.6. So it's a significant difference, almost twice as fast. It has something to do with the way that they're so heavy and they're like being pulled along the wall, I think. I don't quite understand how that works, but however it works, while running with mechs, even just like in a straight room is faster. Whereas with like Sonic and Shadow, it wouldn't really be worth setting up a wall run or a Knuckles or Rouge. Yeah, it can be faster as Knuckles or Rouge, um, like in Security Hall Mission 3, but that's for another reason, actually. We're getting to that, yeah. Alrighty, so let's move on to talking about Knuckles and Rouge optimization. So I believe we touched on the Emerald's RNG layout stuff a little bit earlier. Yeah, there are a few extra stuff, actually. Like I mentioned, the way it works in SADX and SA2B is a little bit different. Like in SADX, it just picks a random piece one and then a random piece two and then a random piece three with no restriction between them. While in SA2B, there's a restriction that piece two cannot be close to piece one and the piece three cannot be close to both piece one and piece two. So there are fewer possibilities. But not fewer possibilities because there are the set of possible pieces are a lot bigger in SA2B, but it's much more restricted than SADX. But there is actually an, an exploit we can do with that in SA2B. Because as it generates piece 1 and then 2 and then 3 using the restrictions, if we're doing a mission 1 IL of a stage, which means we can like get a piece and then die and then restart the stage and then get another piece and die and get the final piece. We can get piece 3 first, like manipulate it to spawn in the closest spot possible. And then after you get piece 3, you die to restart the stage but having piece 3 as collected. And then piece 1 and 2 can spawn in a close location to the starting point because they don't rely on piece 3 and they are uh, regenerated when you die. So what you can do is get piece 3 in a good spot, then die, and then get piece 2 in a good spot, and then die, and then get piece 1. Uh, and that allows you to get like really insane times for mission 1 ILs. Like in Wild Canyon, you can get sub 1 second with that. It should be mentioned that the time that you collect the piece is what you restart with when you die. So if you collect the piece with like two seconds and then take 10 seconds to die, you'll start the stage with two seconds when you respawn. 
So that's how you we get the time solo. Yeah, the IELs are actually based on the, the in-game time. We differentiate them by saying story modes in the TAS record spreadsheet. So in story modes, what matters is the uh, real time you take to complete the stage. So dying would take a lot of time and wouldn't be worth it. But in the mission one category, dying doesn't matter at all. So you can bring down the, the IL time even though you take a lot of time to complete the stage. Yeah, so in real time, it's slow to do the deaths. Is there any situation you could think of where taking a death would be faster, or is it just really slow to die in real time? Not in a TAS, not in a, in a TAS scenario, because we could manipulate a pretty good layout, which would not rely on deaths anyway, which would make deaths cost a lot of time but it, it is actually used in an RTA like if you read one of those monitor hints after taking this one and you check that it's in a really bad location you can just die and so it generates another piece too and hope it's in a better spot okay are these knuckles and reach stages very popular RTA I can't imagine that people would be keen on the RNG there's a surprising little uh, sect of people who do love to do this for some strange reason, but uh, <laughs> yeah, their mission two, three, and five have no RNG involved in them. Aside, two sometimes does if you have to dig up a magnet shield to collect rings faster, but three and five don't at all. So there is some saving grace for people who just want to casually IL the stage without RNG manipulation and restarting the stage hundreds of times to get the right layout. Yeah, there's a very interesting category on that is very popular around mostly hero story runners called Knuckle Centurion, which also has a, an equivalent to Rouge called Rouge Centurion, which you have to complete Wild Canyon 20 times and then Pumpkin Hill 20 times and then Aquatic Mine 20 times and then Death Chamber 20 times. And then uh, Meteor Herd 20 times, so it, you basically completed 100 stages, which is why it's called Centurion. How long does that take? It takes like one and a half hours, I would say. I'm not sure, actually. I think it's actually faster than that, but I could be wrong. It's a really good practice. It helps people memorize piece layouts for RTA runs. Or not even necessarily layouts, but when you get a hint, you know exactly what that piece is, and you have strategies for moving throughout the stage, because you really have to almost improvise when you see the layout you get you have to be like okay i had to move from here to here like what's the best way to get there and centurions are definitely a good way to practice that sort of obscure movement you'd really only run into in a hero story speed run or just a story speed run it's a very interesting run to watch nonetheless and to manipulate this RNG, did you say you have to, is it just based on when you enter the level or is there other stuff you can do? Uh, when you're entering the stage from stage select, it's based on that or from story select. But if you're entering it through like resetting in the middle of the stage, all of the RNG factors before the reset matter. So like changing your camera position could change the effect, changing your inputs, changing um, anything really, uh, the way that you died. Usually when I'm manipulating a piece in a TAS, I'll take damage and then rotate the camera. And then like every frame of rotation, I'll stop and then see what piece I get and then go back and rotate it one more frame. 
And that's generally like the simplest way to get the piece that you want through like RNG manipulation in stage. But if you're entering the stage from stage select, you just kind of have to go by like the frame you enter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually the science team behind SHOB got a like, like it, they understood how the RNG function of the game works and how the, the pieces are generated. So they can tell like if you enter the stage in this frame with this specific RNG value, you're going to get this specific layout. So we can do that in a very more deterministic way, I should say. One of the, the guys that has mostly worked on this and, and how helps us and those stuff is on virus. He's really good at this. The next topic actually is relevant to Onvar because he just uploaded a TAS using this. So if you want to describe it, I don't know all the details. I think you might understand it more than me. So this is actually something that was found last week, pretty recent stuff, which is there's one thing that has been known for quite a long time, actually, that if you uh, manipulate a piece to spawn inside an enemy, which there's a few stages that this can happen like normally, and you make that enemy move away from his home spot and then restart the game, you can still see the, the emerald piece in, or rather, uh, you have to move the enemy away from his home spot and then kill it with, like, by throwing something at, at him so the enemy dies but you don't collect the piece. If you restart the stage after doing that, you can actually still see the emerald piece, but as soon as you touch it, the emerald piece just disappears and you don't collect anything. But if you manipulate the RNG so that specific piece is spawned again in the same spot, when you restart the stage you can actually collect it. So what Onvar tried to do is manipulate a, a piece in security hall that would spawn in an enemy right in front of like a, a few seconds away from where you start the stage, which is like the usual spot for a mission 1 IL. But he would make the enemy move towards the spawn point of Rouge, like where you fall when the stage starts. And he would kill the, the enemy right in that spot and manipulate the RNG so when the stage restarts, the piece is right where Rouge falls in the stage. So you can get the piece in like 0, 0.00 seconds in in-game time. And that allowed us to bring down the time of Security Hall Mission 1, that was like 4.6, I think, by Nathan, to like 0 0.89 seconds or something like that. I don't remember. I think it was slightly over one second, wasn't it? Or actually, no, no, it was. I think it was 92. Yeah, 92. 0 0.92. So like almost four seconds saved just from doing. Uh, we actually did that twice in this run because you can't manipulate piece three to spawn in this enemy. So that's the lowest we could get. But yeah, this trick would only be relevant in an IL. It obviously wouldn't save any time in a hero story or dark story. Yes. There is actually one other uh, IL only thing, which is dying before finishing the stage. Sometimes it's not slower to do. In the case of like Crazy Gadget, you just hit a kill plane on the way to the goal, and it doesn't matter because you hit the goal so soon after that it counteracts the like death. 
But uh, you can do similar things, which actually cost time to do, like in the recent Wild Canyon Mission 5 task. We actually do a really interesting exploit, which is the frame that you touch a kill plane, you can actually input B moves. So you can either punch, which is pretty useless, or you can spiral upper, which gives you height. So you actually drop down to the kill plane and do a one frame spiral upper off it, which stops the timer when you die, and then get some height and then go and finish the stage in the like half second you have before the screen fades out. And if you do that properly, it saves like a half second or so over finishing the stage without dying. So that's IL only. It, it wouldn't save time in like an RTA uh, run, but it's really interesting just to see how low you can get the in-game timer. Yeah, it's used a lot in a lot of places, actually. Even in Sonic stage, like it's used in Green Hill, the extra stage. I also used it in uh, Metal Harbor by dying before hitting a check. In my very old Metal Harbor task, that's horribly dated and the encode <laughs> yeah. quality on it is terrible and i really need to improve it i <laughs> like i think it's at least seven years old it's still the record though no one wants to try it out <laughs> but the um taz would have been going for rta so it wouldn't have beaten that io well, at that point, uh, the IL task that I did had bounce, and in that point in the run, you don't have bounce yet. So uh, you can move around the stage at 16 speed. Alrighty, cool. So should we move on to talking about sloop abuse slash wall run? Sure. That's on a, It sort of ties in with the dismount thing that we mentioned earlier, which is also coming up on this list. Slope abuse in general with hunting characters, if the ground that you're landing on is not diggable or you don't have the digging upgrade, if it's like an obtuse angle relative to you, so it's, it's considered like downward relative to your gravity angle, when you land on it, you'll accelerate based on like how steep the angle change is and how much downward speed you have. Drill diving along these things can usually get you up to like five or six speed, just because that's how it works out. So uh, if you're on like metal or something that can't be dug on, this can be done at any point. And if you're on dirt or regular ground, it can only work without a digging upgrade. But anytime that you go over like an obtuse seam of two different collision triangles, it's faster to jump and drill dive just to get a little speed boost. And there isn't a perfect example of this anywhere, aside from an unlisted video of Dry Lagoon from the Dark Story task, which we're not finished yet. But it can be used to get a lot of speed very quickly. It can also be used in conjunction with wall running to do something really interesting, which I really love to explain. Because when we discovered this, I think it was last year again. It's just like the perfect glitch. It's it's so it's such a nice collection of like everything that we've covered so far. So you need like five speed to maintain gravity. And if you don't have five speed, you start turning back to zero. So if you imagine a vertical wall that you're running down, if you have like four point five speed, let's say, and you jump off the wall, you'll start turning back towards your gravity angle being zero. But if you drill dive during that turn, you'll land back on the wall. And since your gravity angle shifted, the wall is now obtuse and downward relative to your position. So you'll build even more speed when you land back on the wall. And you can kind of just do this until you reach a point where jumping off the wall, your gravity will stay locked. At which point, drill diving back onto the wall, it won't be an obtuse angle anymore and it won't work. But yeah, it's really cool. You can get up to like seven speed or so. I think maybe eight if you're going straight down a vertical wall. And yeah, that's what's used in Security Hall Mission 3 at the very beginning. And I've also used it in various other uh, ILs like Meteor Herd Mission 5 
and uh, I know there are others, but that's a really interesting tech that I just it just putting the pieces together to discover that that was possible was one of the like most exciting moments in hunting uh, history for this game, like Knuckles and Rouge characters. Yeah. Yeah, I love how it all comes together for that glitch. It's really impressive. So is that used a lot or is it fairly restricted in where it can be used? Honestly, we haven't really done enough TASs since it's been found to really answer that. It has a lot of potential because it can be set up very quickly with a wall dismount uh, wall run, which was that other thing we mentioned earlier with dismounting from a wall, your gravity angle slowly changes back instead of switching back in one frame so you can get back onto the wall and wall run. Generally speaking, it's only useful if you're going straight forwards or downwards. If you're climbing up the wall, you'll probably just want to like kick and then start running upwards rather than like turn to face downwards and go in like a U shape to get up. But in some situations, it could be fast. It's definitely got a lot of potential. And in all the stages we've used it in so far, it's been really interesting. It's just uh, we haven't done too many ILs since it's been found. Yeah. Also about normal slope abuse. As Hazel explained before, it's actually used a lot in the Hero Story TAS, probably in every Knuckles stage. But a very nice example of this is in Aquatic Mine in, in that TAS. We basically go on a flat surface that has a slanted edge to the side of it, and we're running parallel to the edge of the platform. So what we can do is drill dive to the slanted edge to build a little bit of speed with the slope abuse. And then drill dive back to the flat ground, and then drill dive to the slanted edge, drill dive to the platform, and you keep building speed like that. And it looks very cool. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of funny too, just how fast all these inputs are coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just go back and forth and keep building speed. Oh, nice. Cool. All right, so should we talk about zipping now then? There's actually two different types of zipping. There's glide zipping, which isn't in the show notes, but it's something that we recently discovered and is also showcased in Wild Canyon Mission 5, which is this weird displacement you can get when you glide along the seam of something. The game will push you forwards, and if your position is like super, super precise, like I can't believe how precise it has to be. You can move at around two times the normal speed for like three or four frames, and it doesn't save much time, but it saves some, and it looks really interesting when it's done. And then there's like actual zipping, which is kind of similar to the trick that's done as Tails in Sonic Adventure DX, except we don't really know how it works. There's one place it's very easy to do just because of the layout of the stage, which is Death Chamber, and it's actually used on TAS. And then there's other places like Security Hall where I've managed to do a TAS, but I don't quite understand the details of how it works. But essentially you do a wall dismount, and for some reason your gravity angle won't switch back to zero, it'll stay locked at 90 degrees. And if you hover during this weird state, you'll gain a bunch of upward momentum. And it's very, very strange. It actually looks like a wall zip from a Genesis Sonic game. So that's why we called it zipping. Yeah, my hypothesis on how it works is that object collision is different from like stage collision, it seems. And I believe that you need to be caught in the side of an object. And for some reason, when you're caught in the side of an object upon dismounting from a wall, your gravity angle won't reset because the game kind of thinks that you're not in the air. I think that's what's happening. But I don't know why you get so much speed when you hold the A button. That's a mystery to me. But it's very similar to the way that Tails just shoots off into the distance in uh, SADX. 
Alrighty, let's move on to talking about sequence breaks. So can we skip stages in SADX and what happens? Uh, well, short answer is no, you can't skip any stage in SADX because of a simple reason that the game has a very strict set of flags that you have to accomplish in order to continue the story. So, for example, if you want to beat Chaos 4 in Sonic Story, the game checks if you completed Emerald Coast, if you completed Windy Valley, if you got the um, uh, Lightspeed Shoe upgrade, and if you completed Casinopolis. So, and also if you completed Ice Cap, and that will trigger the entrance to Chaos 4. So you can't in no way complete Chaos 4 before that, even though the area of that stage is available for you. And even if you, like, for example, complete Ice Cap before Windy Valley or Casinopolis, which is possible by the way, you won't be able to access Chaos 4 because the previous stages weren't beaten yet. Okay, what if you were able to clip into the temple stage or something like that? Would that work with flags or not? Lost World, you mean? Lost World, yeah, the second to last one. There is actually, um, well, in, in Sonic Story, you actually can't get to the Lost World area before you're supposed to because the warp for that area doesn't exist yet. And it's only available after you go to Skydeck and go back to the Mystic Ruin, so that area can't be accessible. But it was tested that even if you could access this area before you're supposed to, even if you beat Lost World or uh, Final Egg, you can't access the final boss yet, so that doesn't work either. Okay, so they build it pretty solidly with all the flag checking and stuff today. Yeah, okay. unfortunately for us. <laughs> yeah but still there are quite a few exploits you can do with this that are quite funny actually there's a thing called trial mode glitch that you can do in the game by so the game has the trial mode that you can play any stage you've already completed so far but it, it has a weird feature that it only adds a stage if you completed the next stage of that so if you complete Emerald Coast and Windy Valley, the trial mode will only have Emerald Coast. And if you complete Casinopolis then, then Windy Valley will be added to the trial mode. But if you beat the second stage before beating the first stage, which is possible as Tails and Knuckles and... I'm not sure if it's possible as Amy, but I'm sure it's possible as Tails and Knuckles. You can unlock the trial mode with no stages at all. And if you press A, that glitched trial mode, you just go to the default stage of the game, which is weirdly the Hedgehog Hammer minigame as Amy. <laughs> you just just get into that stage with no object at all and just an empty room. But if you Instead of going directly in the glitch trial mode, you open up another character's trial mode. The default stage is changed to whatever first stage is in that character's trial mode list. So, for example, if you do trial mode glitch as Theus and have normal trial mode as Sonic, you can open Sonic's trial mode. It will have Emerald Coast as the first stage. 
And then when you open Tails trial mode, you can access Emerald Coast as Tails. And you can play through Emerald Coast normally. Well, not normally, there is one point where you can't be beaten, but you can play through half of the stage at least. It's a very interesting glitch, either way. Okay, so does that save time if it were to do it? No, actually it saves time just in Gamma's story. The reason why it's not as fast as it sounds like is that even though you can complete a stage through trial mode, when it comes to that stage time in the story mode, you have to at least enter the stage and exit it so the game recognizes it and it's beating. So it's not as useful as it sounds like. But as Gamma, what you can do is, in the first time you visit a carrier, you can complete Hot Shelter by clipping through a wall and accessing the stage earlier. And then in the trial mode, as you have completed Final Act, Emerald Coast, and Hot Shelter, instead of having those three stages in the list, it would have Final Act and Red Mountain, which is the stage before Hot Shelter. So you can complete that stage through trial mode, and then it will unlock Windy Valley in the trial mode, which is the stage before Red Mountain. You can complete that stage, and then you go back to the story mode, and when the time for those stages come, you can just go into those stages and, and leave. You just don't have to do that for Windy Valley for some reason, so that's why it saves time as Gamma. That's so weird. I'm glad that it's useful for at least one character then. Yeah, but an even weirder glitch you can do with this, which so far we haven't found any use for it, which is something that I call the warp glitch. So you do the Sonic Story normally at, until after you beat Windy Valley. So that's a time where you have to go to Station Square and it's in sunset and you have to get the Lightspeed Shield upgrade. So what you do is you go to the sewer to get the upgrade. You get the upgrade, but instead of going through the normal exit of that sewer, you turn around and go through the exit that's only available to big, which you can just clip through a wall, or actually jump over a wall to get to that part, so it's pretty simple to do. And the thing is that one of those flags that the, the game checked is if you uh, both collected the upgrade and left the sewer through Sonic's normal exit. So when you leave through Big's exit, there's something that starts going very weirdly about the game. Like, as soon as you leave sewer, it's supposed to be night, because that's how the, the story goes. But when you leave through Big's exit, it's still at sunset, and if you clip anywhere in the adventure field and, and die, the game will mess up the respawn point and you make you respawn right at the trigger for the other section of Station Square. So you'll get a, a lot of death sequence that are really, really glitchy and I really don't know why that happens. And then when you finally get a, a game over, you respawn in, in out of bounds. And you have to exit the game. So when you exit the game and go back to adventure mode or story mode as Sonic, you respawn in the sewer, even though you're supposed to always be spawned in the 
in front of the train station in the station square. And after you leave the sewer, the game is back to normal. Alrighty then. So is that useful to save time or is it just like a weird... No, it's just a weird thing that can happen in the game. I found this like in 2011 or 2012, but I don't really remember, but we've never touched that glitch again because we don't even see any potential at that. Just really, really weird. Hmm. Yeah, hopefully some of these glitches will combine together one day to give something that saves time. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that actually Hazel had happened with her game once is that she, uh, when she booted the story mode as, as Sonic, uh, Sonic was spawned in the Lost World area in Mystic Ruins. But for no reason at all, it was a completed file and everything was supposed to be normal. It was probably a like a disk corruption glitch or something, but it was similar to what happened in this warp glitch, but we really don't know why, why that happens. Was that a new file? No, it was in a computer file. Oh, okay. That's pretty weird. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it was probably a disk corruption thing, but we can't know for sure. Yeah, the difficult thing is that would be so hard to replicate and test. Yeah. Mm. Alrighty, so should we move on to talking about some of the Lua scripting that's happening with Sonic Adventure? Sure. Okay, so do you want to tell us a bit about the Dolphin custom build? Mm -hmm, sure. So Lua scripting in Dolphin actually started a while ago with Zelda Wind Waker and Twilight Princess Community. In which Dragon Bane, which is a, a speedrunner and tester of those games, he built a custom Dolphin build with Lua support. So you could write whatever Lua script you wanted with uh, dealing with the game's memory and the emulator's input, and you would be able to run that script while the game was running in Dolphin. So I got interested on, on that. And I wanted to port that Lua build to the Dolphin revision we use for SA2B and SADX. And after some hard programming work, I, I got to build a functional build of that Lua core in Dolphin. So we, we've started using that to make some scripts for optimization and, and scripts for gathering data in general. One last thing I would like to mention is that all the Lua builds we made so far, including the one made in Dolphin 5.0 by the Mario Kart Wii team, are in GitHub. So if you ever need to port it to another Dolphin revision or want to implement more stuff in the build, you can feel free to get those repositories. So I'll leave a link to those GitHub pages here as well. Wow, that's really impressive. So is that custom build would that be applicable to other games as well? Yeah, actually the Mario Kart Wii community uh, is starting to use this as well. They're doing some changes, so it runs well in Wii games. And it's working very well so far. And we can potentially port this to any other Dolphin revision as well. So at one point we will request it to the main Dolphin build, so it gets implemented in the, the newer Dolphin versions, which would be pretty good. So what was the problem with the revision that the Zelda people were using? 
basically there are a lot of inconsistencies between one revision and another when it comes to syncing movie files in one game. Like if I were to try making a movie file for SA2B in the Zelda build, it will not sync every time when I run the movie file in the game. And we can't really predict when it happens in, in Dolphin to just like try to find a good revision that syncs with the game you're playing. So we found one which is 4.0 on 4.222 and um, we just stick with that one forever. So you've got a few scripts that you use for Sonic Adventure Tazzing specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've built quite a few so far actually, but those scripts we are using so far are all based on one specific script which I called Keep Specific Angle Script. Well, basically, the goal of the script is to maintain the character's angle at, at a given angle that you want to maintain. So if you walk in a, in a straight line, you get the angle of that straight line. You input that to the script, and the script will make the analog input to keep that line by checking what the camera angle is. So it subtracts the camera angle, so the analog angle matches the angle you want. And the way the script works is pretty interesting actually. Previously we ran a script that would brute force every analog stick angle and measure the final facing angle of the character after one or two frames. And we would record all that data in a big file. And every time we want a specific angle, we would look into that file and check what was the specific input we need. So. That's basically how the script works. And I got that idea actually from the Super Mario 64 community, which quite recently as well, MK Dasher, which is one of the main testers of that game, wrote a Lua script that does a very similar thing as this one. So I just got that idea from that and it worked here as well, which is pretty nice. Nice, and it's very good to hear that you can actually use the, like you're not brute forcing it anymore, you're actually using the values from the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. the good thing about this script is that it doesn't make optimizing better, like the results you would get from normal TASing and TASing with scripts would be literally the same, but it makes the work quite faster because well, if you want to keep that angle, you don't have to worry about what your analog stick is doing. Just let the script do it for you and worry about other things. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me a lot. Very recently, I wrote a similar script for Banjo-Kazooie. We're still in the brute forcing stage, though, unfortunately, because the camera in that game is, like, very complicated. It's controlled by, like, 30 different variables or something. So oh, I think I we'll brute force it for now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to hear that other communities are doing this because I've noticed in Banjo it saves heaps of time with Tazzing, even though it has to brute force for quite a while. Yeah. We actually still have one extra script that is still in the brute force method, but we're trying to figure out a way to do it in a more deterministic way, which is a script to figure out uh, radio inputs. So basically when you're on a rail, you have to hold B to go faster and 
At the same time, you have to hold an analog angle that kind of follows the rail turn. So if the rail curves to the, the left, you have to slightly hold to the left in the analog stick as well. But sadly, we haven't found a way to find which is the best direction to hold in the analog stick for any given rail. So we are in the brute force method, We're basically trying every possible analog input and, and then just checking what's the best one for the whole rail. Oh, wow. Sounds like it would take a while. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it took like four days to complete a single rail. <laughs> but uh, we are trying to work in a... Well, we are researching a way to make it without a brute force method. In fact, uh, Onvar, which has been mentioned a lot of times in this episode, is working on that like literally now. <laughs> He's trying to figure out some data from the game to check what we can do with it. So hopefully in the next few days we will have a script for it. Yeah, I think probably a step in between that you could do is like, well, this is what I did for the Banjo line script anyway, is sort of maybe on frame N, you could be holding an angle and then on the next frame what I did was like search within kind of a five degree range of that angle and only near full range on the joystick, nothing near the center. So you could do brute force, but kind of like in a narrow range on the stick. But I'm not sure if it works or if it jumps around rapidly, too rapidly. Yeah, it kind of jumps around rapidly, but we figured out some ways to not have to brute force the whole analog area. So... But it still takes a long time to complete the, the whole rail. Yeah, because it's, it's 60 FPS, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's not even running at 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. that would take a while, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, we've done this for the first rail of Radical Highway recently. And the whole rail takes, like, 2.4 seconds, I think. And it took, like, four days to run the whole script. Oh, wow. I, at least you can do other stuff while it's running, but still, that would be pretty yeah. rough. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, there is kind of an evolution to the Keep Specific Angle script, which is a script that I call Go to Position script. It basically does what the name says, like you input a, a, a specific position in the, in the map, and the, the script will calculate the angle required to reach that position, and it will run the keep specific angle script onto that angle. And it's a very handy script because, like, let's say you're going towards the, the goal ring in this stage. You just input the goal ring coordinates in the, in the script, and you just let the script do the rest of the stage for you. So it's very nice. So what kind of scale is that go-to position script running on? Like uh, how much of the level are you running it over? Just a small section or a bigger section? It has to be small sections because it only does like straight lines. And well, if you watch a SA2B JS, you will hardly see a straight line. You'll just see that in like very big skips like the general engine skip or the final rear skip. So how does it differ from the keep specific angle script? Does it do like all the spin dashing and stuff that you need to do as well? No, it's just the, the analog input. The only difference actually is that the way you input the information. 
instead of inputting an, an angle, you input a position in the map, so it calculates the angle for you. And it's pretty neat because it actually recalculates the, the angle every frame. So if there is any deviation because of imprecisions in the analog input, it will compensate over time. So it's like it's much more powerful than the, the other script. That's something I've been wanting to add to the Banjo script as well. Because <laughs> you can't make a perfect angle on an imperfect analog stick. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Cool. So I think that wraps up the scripting section, and I think that wraps up our conversation about the Sonic Adventure part. We'll have a Sonic Heroes episode coming out later with Telus. And yeah, so in the description will be links to as much as I can find of what we talked about in the episode and links to the Discord for Sonic speedrunning in general and SA2V tazzing. So... Talus, also known as THC98, where can we find you? The place I usually upload my stuff in is my YouTube channel. So you can find most of my stuff there. All my IELs, all my full game tests are there. And every now and then I upload also some little tricks we eventually find. But aside from that, I also have a Twitter account, which I mostly talk about TAS stuff I'm doing. And I also have a Twitch channel, but it's been like four years since I, I've streamed the last time. So, well, it's there at least. And before ending the podcast, I would like to talk about the community behind all of this stuff. Because these games wouldn't be as optimized as they are now if the community wasn't around. A few of them has already been shout out through the podcast, like Onvar and Pro, which are the main science guys of SA2B. But I would like to also shout out Brian Piasso, which is one of the earliest RTA runners of the game. And he's still around finding tricks and figuring out stuff for the game. Flossy and the Pro Jamer, which are new, very skilled testers of SA2B. And lastly, Broken Arthritis, Beige, IDGeek, and Taco for making a hero story human theory test last year, which I highly recommend watching. Nice. And they'll all be in the description as well. And where can we find you, Hazel? Uh, so I have two YouTube channels. One is like my main one where I upload actual uh, projects, which is the Fusion Varia channel. And then I have a secondary channel, which is linked in that channel. But if you want to look it up, it's just Hazel Elaine. It might come up, it might not. I'm sure there's a lot of people with that name on YouTube, but yeah, that secondary channel, I definitely recommend checking out. I have playlists of those main four games that I mentioned, as well as some others, like a playlist with Metroid Prime 2, or I think I have a playlist for the SpongeBob movie game as well, with pretty much just everything that I've ever done in those games. Whenever I find a glitch or a trick or like route something new or find something interesting, I'll post it on that channel. I have a Twitter that's also Fusion Varia, and same with my Twitch. And uh, if you want to check out my food Instagram, it's Hazel Eat Food uh, with underscores between the words. Nice. So thanks for coming on today. I've it's been very interesting. I've learned quite a lot, and we'll be back next time for Heroes with THC ninety eight. And yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was a great talk. I did not expect it to go on this long. I'm definitely losing my voice now. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of time. It was a great talk.
yeah, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate what you've put in. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.